Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. We are covering No Mercy 2002 today, an excellent pay-per-view, and I'm joined by an excellent man to cover the show, Daniel Pettapod, my good friend, is back on the show. How are you doing, Daniel? Very good, Matt. What's up? It's my first pay-per-view on the show, Matt. It's good. We so covered pumped. We covered two other ones at this point. One of the best all-time, SummerSlam 2002, and then one of the most, eh, okay, as Unforgiven 2002. So that was okay. It was... It was unforgiven. How do you feel about these? Um, how do you feel about these generically titled pay per views? Not generically titled. Maybe that's not fair to say. But the pay per views that aren't—they're not theme pay per views. It's like Unforgiven, No Mercy, Judgment Day, I, Fully Loaded. Truly, I love it. Yeah, I, I I think it's awesome. Like I I mean I'm a man who just loves his In Your House One, In Your House mm. Two, In Your House Three, In Your you know like. But do you, do you like the uh, the In Your House subtitles too? But you're Beware of Dog, Revenge of the Taker. That that's that stuff is awesome. That stuff Fine is games. awesome. Yeah. Well, because the thing for me is just like we just need a showcase once a month or so to show off these guys and what they can do. These guys yeah. and gals and what they can do, right? So, and make money, baby. And make money, baby. Cash dollars. We need to go to North Little Rock, Arkansas and get these get these people the cash out of their pockets. So, folks, we're this is the SmackDown 6 podcast. We're talking about the SmackDown 6 era of you guessed it, SmackDown. That is from summer 2002 until early 2004. One of the biggest parts of this is the SmackDown 6 themselves, the six guys who made the show worth watching every week. And on Sundays, you want to part with your hard-earned money to do that. So that would be your Edges, your Rey Mysterios, your Chavo Mendy Guerreros, your Kurt Angles, your Chris Benoit. And that's all of them. That was six. That's the SmackDown 6. And this is like, this show is kind of a jewel in the crown of the SmackDown 6 in a way. Like, this is this is one of the best matches those guys ever put together. Uh, in the WWE Tag Team Tournament Finals, uh, we're going to get into it, but I just have to kind of to set as a kind of the ground for our show that we're covering today. This is like one of the bigger shows. I don't know if there's a bigger one than this. Maybe WrestleMania here or there, that sort of thing. Um, we're going to get into it here. Yeah, this uh, is special. We see yeah. some really special stuff. Yeah, and it's so funny to think it's just it's just an October pay review in some ways. Like it's not it's not a it's not like Survivor Series where it was one you know one of the big four. It's not like anyway. It's interesting. But you can so, tell SmackDown is working really hard. Oh yeah, to we, be amazing, right? So they're and, and it's interesting, right? What what are the conversations that take place that you know uh, SmackDown gets kind of the two best spots of the night? You know, like yeah, the guess is a women's title match for Raw before uh, in between the tag title match or the Hell in the Cell. But really, yeah. SmackDown kind of gets the semi and the main event. And you know what? That women's tag, that women's title match, that was where it almost always was at the time. It was the cool yeah. down match. I feel like they do it a little bit less now. I don't know. Can't say that I know like the ins and outs of how they do the main <laughs> roster stuff all the time. But like now, like back then, it was like, especially when there's two world titles, you'd be like world title match, women's match, no one cares about, which was a sad thing, but that was the reality of the time, and they didn't really invest that much into it, right? So that was just the, the rule. So it was just kind of this dead spot, and so it's kind of this unfortunate place for them to be. Interestingly. The Raw World Title match goes on like an hour into the show, which SmackDown they trade they trade the pleasure the next month with Survivor okay. Series. It's like twenty minutes <laughs> ahead. Brock Lesnar's out there again, but uh, yeah. So we're covering No Mercy two thousand two. It uh, it aired live October twentieth, two thousand and two, uh, and they were in the All Tell Arena in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Not just our Little Rock, North Little Rock. <laughs> Gotta be specific, yeah. man. And that that South Little Rock's gonna be pissed if you mix it up. Exactly. And don't get East and West Little Rock started because there's a rivalry there. 
there are gang colors. There's a problem. <laughs> four four points is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say y'all differently in those places now. And, and I will say this: Arkansas does factor into a promo later on in the show. We'll get to it. <laughs> You'll see it. Okay. And so when we cover SmackDown episodes on the show, I always go over the the uh, the ratings because it's, it's an interesting thing to track to see how popular was this show. Was it comparing with Raw? Kind of where where did it stack up in the uh, in, in in kind of the, the wrestling power play of, of the time. Now for pay per views, of course, we have buy rate instead of TV ratings because you have to pay for the show. And so I don't know all of the magical juju of what buy rate is. I'll tell you, this show did a zero point seven seven, which is very slightly up from last month, which is the zero seven five, probably a point seven five. I don't know, uh, and it's down slightly from last year's No Mercy, which was the zero point eight zero. I don't know if those are expected. I think those are disappointing. I have no idea. What does this show do if the main event is in a hell in the cell? Could not tell you. I do not know. But first, I want to talk about last week's episode. Just got to set the stage for tonight. So last week's episode of SmackDown, the WWE Tag Team Title Tournament had two semifinal matches with Edge and Ray besting Devon and Ron Simmons. <laughs> Amazing tag team. Uh, really shows the, the best, great. really. I mean, yeah. let's yeah, not ask why those two men were together. Yeah, yeah. Don't think too hard about it, because uh, um, it's just because they're black, and there's no reason otherwise. It's kind of sad. Also, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit defeated the dastardly pairing of Eddie and Chavo Guerrero. Oh, that stuff was amazing, man. Oh yeah. Also, and you were uh, right. We, yeah. we were talking just off the record, and you were mentioning Eddie's uh, Eddie's plea to Benoit to stop hurting his feelings. Yes, that stuff was brilliant, man. That it's was so funny. Man. I, I almost want to do like a top ten. Uh, backstage vignettes after we do this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Because there's some golden stuff. You heard of my feelings, man. (laughs) SmackDown's a lot about feelings. I don't know why. At one point, the Undertaker is once again described as an emotional freight train. And uh, (laughs) it's so funny that this, like, it's a weirdly emotional show. You know, someone who's kind of leading into his emotions last week's episode was John Cena. He kind of had his first taste of being a bad dude. He was sneering and cheating in a win over Billy Kidman. And that was then, neat to see. That was neat to see. Uh, you want to see? You want to see something? Is that last week? If you watched SmackDown, you saw Al Wilson. He was caught in the shower with Don Marie by his daughter Tori. <laughs> and he was fully clothed, to be clear. You know what? We're gonna talk about that more. But I don't think Al's a bad guy, man. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think I think Al is. He's caught. He's caught in something. He just wants love. He just wants some love. That's he's all. He's... I love it. Al is just like he's this man. He's divorced. <laughs> yeah. Last week on the show. That's a good show, and you will have heard it. People would have heard this. I, I, I speculated with my brother, uh, Will, about uh, what Tori Wilson's job is because she's not a wrestler. <laughs> no, she, right. she wrestles on this, but like everybody, every other woman on the show has like a job that is clear. But uh, Tori, so it's like, so Al Wilson is the father of someone who vaguely works at SmackDown. She might be like a model there for all we know. And he just <laughs> talked between. I love, I love that that's your, your call on Al Wilson. <laughs> but hey, most man. importantly, somehow if there's anything more important than Al Wilson, Don Marie, and Tori Wilson, it's that. Uh, last week on the show, Brock Lesnar was chased off by The Undertaker, who bloodied Paul Heyman with his cast, which he is allowed to use at no mercy tonight. And before- I gotta say, yeah. they did a great job of angling that whole cast thing and, like, Heyman going in and complaining. And, like... Yeah. He's screaming at really, Yes, really well done. Really I was well mad done. about it last week, because I was like... Uh, Paul, like, she's insane for letting him use the cast, considering he smashes, like, a plant or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it's a great point that weapons are allowed in Hell Cell. So it's like, what? What's the deal? Anyway, we'll talk about it because I, I got some. I mean, I got yeah, some, I got issues. I got yeah. issues with that. 
You know what? We're going to start with Sunday Night Heat. This is what the good folks at the Altel Arena in Little, North Little Rock, Arkansas, saw that night. And it was, uh, oh, it was a barn burner. It was the hurricane. He defeated Steven Richards with the Vertebraker. Okay. Vertebraker is a cool move, but like, still, it was just Steven Richards. He was just like a guy at this point. He was just like, it wasn't even like, you didn't even like punch him and then yell at the crowd, be like, you guys all suck. It was like, not even that. It was kind of sad. <laughs> like, hurricane beat a generic guy. So it was like an episode of Superstars or something. Sorry, Little Rock. But let's get on to this week's episode. And just a reminder for everybody listening to the podcast for, if you are a completionist, we will not be covering the Raw matches on the show because otherwise, like they would come on, we would be like, eh, why are we watching Raw? Anyway, it's not in the purview of this podcast. I will say that. Uh, but but even to kind of and and thank the Lord, really. I know. I mean, because I didn't not... have a lot of interest in yeah. this stuff anyway. You can go. You can go watch the Raw stuff on your own if you really want to. We we're gonna be we're gonna kind of appease your completionist attitude and tell you at least who won. And we're also gonna cover the backstage segments. So. Anyway, and you know what? <laughs> the show starts off with a backstage segment. It starts with a cold open. No Mercy 2002 starts with The Undertaker sitting in the locker room. He's cont- contemplating his cast. And the camera pulls back to show Kane, The Undertaker's brother, brother, who sits down next to him. He just says, so, how was your week? It was brilliant, man. It was brilliant. Enough. Now, of course, if you didn't watch the show, guys, the reason Kane is saying that is because even though The Undertaker had a tough week, uh, Kane was very recently... Uh, uh, accused of murder on Raw before his title match tonight. So that's why he's kind of coming out there and <laughs> they did that. So, and then we go into a, a video package and it kicks off with Kane, you are a murderer. You <laughs> killed Katie Vick, says the now Paul Levesque, Triple H. Um, and then, you know, and they're uniting the titles tonight the Intercontinental Championship and the world title. That is, that is part of it somehow. They, this show. WWE at this time cannot help but make these matches that are like like main event title matches also have the most personal stakes ever. And I get why for a reason, but it's also like I don't need Kane to kill to be accused of murder to want to see him wrestle Triple H. Right. But is this but, is this yeah. pre or post like the Katie Vick like he the, corpse so molestation? That's thing, the right? next night on Raw, which oh, okay. is insane because okay. the storyline's over. But the next night on Raw. There is, uh, is, is the accusations of necrophilia in one of the the most classless, tasteless segments of all time, which we don't have to talk about because it's tomorrow. <laughs> and, and it's not ours, man. It's now, not I'll, ours. Just to see if SmackDown, the next week SmackDown, what people will be like, like, like the one we cover next week, people will be like, ah, uh, like more afraid to do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was not right. cool for them uh, uh, with sponsors and stuff. They were not a big fan of that. But anyway, in the video package, we hear a bell toll and we see Brock Lesnar standing in an empty room. Some creepy Latin speaking before we hear Paul Heyman ask Undertaker if Brock Lesnar's in his head. This is the new phenom, he says. And we see clips of Hell in the Cell. We see shots of Tracy. We also keep hearing a baby crying. Just yes. that Undertaker's was that was unnerving for me. Yeah, I just love it. it's such like a generic kind of like creepy weird thing. And, and Matt, uh, just, you you and I are dads, right? So yes. so baby cries. I don't know about you, but for mm-hmm. me, it's kind of a it's kind of a grating sound for me it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't stir up nice emotions in me it's kind of a frustrating experience so so that open was hard for me like someone shut up that baby now hey you want to hear some information here i was realizing watching the show i was like wait a second undertaker's wife is pregnant i can look up to see who she gave birth to we can find out who these children are it's not that hard to do so i went online and i found out that uh born later in november 
uh, is a girl named Undertaker's daughter's name is uh, one of them. It's named Chasey. The word Chase with a Y. Chasey. Okay. Don't know okay. what that is. Sarah and Mark make a daughter named Chasey. Sure. Uh, anyway, so she's well. She would be you know an adult now, just as of uh, as of this past November. She was born then. Um, and also, this is why the Undertaker disappears for a while after the show. Because from now until Royal Rumble, he's just not around. Okay. We'll see why later tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the world champion, sorry. <laughs> just giving it away at the well, top. Well, I think yeah, on some level, I'm uh, you know trying not to spoil things. And then at the end of the video package, we get an and now WWE No Mercy, which is set over this graphic of razor wire, which makes the O in No Mercy. Um, now, of course, you know they're trying to kind of evoke Hell in a Cell. There's no razor wire in Hell in a Cell. It'd be very dangerous. But there is some by the entranceway. Right. Did you did you get a good look at the entrance here, Daniel? I did not. I I I'm sorry. I was okay. rushing. I was rushing. So I Say, was kinda I was skipping intros. That's okay. It, it looked like it looks kind of like if you took Hell in a Cell and then cut it in half diagonally and then kind of set the diagonal point behind the stage. So it kind of looks like they're trying to evoke a bigger Hell in a Cell thing at the set, which I liked. It's not it wasn't like uh overly involved, but it looked really cool, which is good. And so uh Jim Ross, good old JR, welcomes us to the show. He points out the ominous structure that is the Hell in a Cell. Nothing has been described more as ominous than the Hell in a Cell. That's right. That's like, right. I would love, I wish I could go back. There's no way to do this. Uh, you could actually if you hired like an intern, but you should never do this. Um, and find out who it was the under, was the Hell in a Cell called Ominous More or was Gold Dust called Bizarre More when you first started? <laughs> the Bizarre One. The Bizarre One. Oh my gosh. Like, I still, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. I'll just dream of Vince McMahon calling him the Bizarre One. Oh, that's my hope for you. I just want to watch it. 1996 Raw, actually. Yeah, I'll go back and watch one. It feels very much like I don't want to do that. So the first match of the night is Chris Jericho and Christian. They are the uh, world tag team champions and they're going up against Gold Dust and Booker T, who are a tag team at this time. And uh, the this Bizarre is our one. Bizarre one. The book dust is, I think, what people were called. I don't know. Book dust is kind of an, it's like a library so, is what that evokes. Um, this is a raw match, so we're going to skip to the end. But I wanted to point out something first, which is these raw tag titles, which are currently called the World Tag Team titles. Um, they're not redesigned at this point. There is a raw redesign they do where they kind of have like a little. I don't even know how to describe those titles. They look more like puzzle pieces, I guess. These are still the classic tag title design, which is funny because in my mind I was like, oh yeah, the SmackDown tag titles use that same design and it's like I thought they were like kind of reusing it after it went away but it's not the case like they both have the same kind of like uh, scripty thing I don't know how to describe them like that but anyway at this point in the show with these two titles with these uh, two brands they both had very similar t- uh, looking tag titles just different coloring weird thing cool. so this was an interesting one so I actually I rewatched number 2002 in full probably a year or so ago at this point my buddy Brian uh, gets a former guest of the show and I remember watching this. And what happens is that at the end of this match, uh, Chris Jericho does, he does like a springboard dropkick thing. He would often do this. He would jump to the second rope and then kick the guy on the uh, on the outside. And so at the end of this match, Jericho does this. But as he jumps on the second rope, the rope snaps. Okay. And the top rope and the bottom rope are the only one there. There's no middle rope at all. So that's an issue for the finish because I can tell you pretty emphatically that you know Jericho – Bulldogs gold dust onto a title belt, and then he is supposed to do a lion salt clearly because instead he goes to the top turnbuckle and hits a lion salt and moves all off the top rope for the win. Oh, wow, yeah, which is crazy. And you're kind of like, Oh, yeah, I wondered if it was any harder to do a uh, a lion salt off the top rope than the middle rope. I feel like you have more clearance there, but what if you overturn too much? Um, it is, well, it's, it's kind of more impressive to do a moonsault from the top turnbuckle, yeah, in a way, it looks cooler. Um, I also wonder if this match was like ended early because of rope breaking, but it seemed as if everything kind of like went along the normal way. Like it seemed like it didn't have to affect the finish that much. But 
you know, I've heard of other kids, like the, the famously the Rockers, uh, um, Hart Foundation yes. match. They had a rope break, and they ended up. I think they they, they kept going. They were kind of. Uh, I think I think you, they, they talked to Shawn Michaels since then. He was like, "Yeah, I don't know. They should have. I thought they were going to stop, and they never did. And then they didn't even end up airing that match. Yeah, um, it was a two o three falls match. Yeah, and it's yeah. I think during the first fall or something. Like, it was early on. It was early on, and yeah. the and the Rockers won the titles. It was the only time they won the titles as yeah. a tag team. And uh, they didn't actually win because that match was not aired, as Matt had said. So it was a bummer. Yeah. It's crazy. Imagine, it's crazy to watch that and be like a little fan and be like, oh, I saw the Rockers in the tag titles. And it's like, actually, they don't say they ever won it. You saw it, but they just pretend yeah. it never happened. Yeah. Oh, wrestling. So speaking of wrestling, Funaki <laughs> is backstage in the interview area there. He's SmackDown's number one announcer, <laughs> in case you didn't know. And he has managed to snag Al Wilson, of all people, for an interview. The, the golden... Hearted man, Al Wilson, the man who is a man of integrity, fortitude, and, justice. Al and so Funaki is essentially trying to challenge the uh, whether or not this man is actually a, a, a paragon of virtue here. And so <laughs> Funaki shows Al some clips. And so we start three weeks ago when Don showed him her bikini. Al has left, left speechless when he asked about it. And then Funaki shows two weeks ago when Don Marie showed him her lingerie part of the lingerie showdown. And Funaki asks, now how did this peak make you feel? And, and Al goes, well... Uh, 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 uh. And then we see when Don Marie gave him a key to her hotel room. Still no comment from uh, Al Wilson there. And then we see last Thursday's antics when he's caught in the shower fully clothed with Don Marie. And Funaki asked an important question. I was so glad. <laughs> this I was this so is glad. so good. This is so good. I laughed out loud. Belly laughed. Amazing. This, this is great. Is, this is journalism. This is Funaki earning his stripes. This, this is worth no mercy right here. Yeah. This is this is it. Funaki asks, why were you wearing your clothes in the shower? Because he needs enough <laughs> fats here. And so, Al, this is where you need to remember we're in Arkansas. So he busts out a Bill Clinton impression, essentially. Yes. Yes. Even though it's 2002, it's not 1996 or 7 or 8 or 9. It's, it's, this is a dated reference, but where he is, this makes it more understandable. He says, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And then Al That's leaves. Um, now, here's the thing. Al used a Bill Clinton line to say he didn't sleep with that woman. But Bill Clinton fooled around. So my understanding oh, yeah. Al... So my understanding oh, yeah. Al is... Are they used, essentially being like, hey, he's actually uh, full of it? Matt, Matt, he's just a man with needs, all right? Let's lay off. Let's lay off. Um, no, oh, but it, it's hilarious, right? Because Michael Cole, immediately after that, he's like, I, I've heard someone else use that line before. I oh, know, just, you know? <laughs> like, they're really laying it on. So, of course, of course they want us to believe that Al Wilson has had sexual relations with Don Marie. Pretty, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous to assume anything otherwise, considering everything that happened there. <laughs> It's also weird. It's weird to me that Tori Wilson, who's like this adult woman, is like keeps catching her father in compromising positions and being like, "You so never like even after she saw the SmackDown where he is given the hotel room key, she asks him and she's like, "Well, he said he didn't do anything." And it's like, "You've met men before, though, right? Like, how would you fought anyway?" Then we go from uh, Funaki being a crack journalist to uh, we see the ring crew and officials who are fixing the second rope before our next yes. match. And I'm glad that they're not trying to ignore this issue. They're like, I'm, it's more fun to be like, oh, we have this crazy thing happened. Yeah, and frantically, they're frantically working, yeah. just cranking that. I love it, man. I would like. I wonder what would happen if it broke again. They would be freaking out. Like it would be like, there's oh, no yeah. thing to do here. Problems. There's huge problems with this next match, of course, which is Don Marie versus Tori Wilson, which we are covering because it is a SmackDown match. I use that loosely. 
I think I think famous. Hey, I think, hey, hey, Matt, don't don't be too hard on this. This was well, this was pretty. This was this is pretty was better solid than I expected. It, yes. it was better than I expected, but I, my expectations were truly rock bottom for this match. But, I think Dave Meltzer <laughs> of the Wrestling Observer uh, newsletter gave us a, a half star out of five. So just to kind of set expectations here. But but Mike, Michael Cole in a surprise voice says, "This is actually a competitive match." <laughs> I love it. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, this is your job. And he's like, that's crazy. This is happening. Uh, Well, Michael Cole actually starts when when Don Marie comes out. He he says, quote, wow, Don looking awesome tonight. Yes. He's a big, big fan of Don. It's just really funny. It's like, it's like, it reminds me of the uh, the John Mulaney joke about Ice. uh, Was it Ice Tea? Ice Cube? Ice Tea. Being like confused about what happens on uh, Law and Order SVU. Because it's like sex. And he's like confused about it. And he's like, I'm, I'm like, Michael Cole, like. Yeah, there's like attractive women who are on the show all the time. That's the whole point of it. That's this match. This whole thing is about how one woman's trying to, as attractive woman's trying to sleep with the attractive woman's dad. Like the idea that he's like, whoa. Um, so, so this week, uh, like watching the show made yeah. me uh, curious about Michael Cole, and so I looked yeah. up his marital status. Okay, it's a dirt. so so no, so he's been married since 1987. Whoa. So the same woman. That's a long time. That's longer than um, well, at least how long I've been alive. Depending when in 1987. Long, wow. Longer than we have been alive. Oh. So, so to the same woman, and they have uh, two adopted children together. They okay. were not able to conceive together. We don't know that, but they do have adopted children. Well, yeah, okay. Did he say? <laughs> My assumption. No, no. I, okay. All I saw was that they had two adopted children. I, I don't know why else you wouldn't have children of your own. I mean, I guess there's reasons. I don't yeah, know. All anyway. sorts of reasons. The, <laughs> I don't think there's all sorts, but maybe there is. <laughs> the, <laughs> They're going to go like maybe two and then shut up. It's probably because they uh, could not conceive. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um. But but anyway, uh, she um, she's just again just a normal looking woman. Just you know, normal, good, nice lady. Do you think she appreciates having here Michael Colby horny every other SmackDown about this? And so that's what I wondered. I wondered how she was feeling at home when she hears her husband say, "Wow, Don looks awesome." I don't know. How does he interpret that? I don't know. That's a good question. Don does not look bad, just to be clear. I mean, she's... Well, like, well so here, here's the thing. two models. I, I mean, that's the other thing, too. Last time I was on the show, I was pretty yeah. hard on Don Marie. I was pretty hard on Don Marie, but she's getting better looking each week. <laughs> she's going up. She's going she's, up. She's like a fine wine. That's <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> so funny. Okay, so here's, a, here's, a, here's something about the storyline here. I, I get that Al Wilson is a horn dog, or at least a man who is getting... Hey, on Darn Marie. Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't... just. I know. I got. I got to tread lightly here, but like it's pretty clear, Dom Marie is doing this to get under Tori's skin. Yes. What is but this? here's the thing. Here, here's here's why Al is caught. Al yeah. is caught because Dom Marie is doing this only to get to Tori. But yeah. I don't think that Al is aware of this. I think Al legitimately thinks there might be a genuine attraction that Dom Marie has for him. And so he is holding on to that and he is letting himself get strung along because he has high hopes that this is genuine, that this is maybe real. That, that's, my, that's my lens for Al Wilson. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to Al, she is hitting on him a lot. I mean, she seems interested. It just seems, it seems so transparent. But we're, you know, we're, we're not watching from his eyes, of course. So. Sorry. Have, haven't you wanted a woman to just love you, Matt? Haven't you just <laughs> wanted that? It just wasn't happening. I don't know how to take that. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know. We've known each other for a long time, man. I know for a fact you have. And you know for a fact I have. So I'm going to say this. I've definitely never been in Al Wilson's predicament. 
It's not just because I don't have an adult and, daughter. And I, and I, I suppose I have not either. So not maybe right. I'm just jealous of Al. Maybe that's what's happening. Well, I can see that very believably. Uh, so the match starts. Tori Wilson baseball slides Don Marie from the apron to start the match. And really Tori sweet, gets, really great. Yeah, she gets some 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 face some face pushes in. One of those moves that only happens on uh, the women's wrestling at the time. So Don Don kicks down Tori to get the advantage of the corner, and she stomps her. And at one point, Don Don springboards off the bottom rope to hop outside, which looks pretty impressive. Uh, which I was like surprised by a little bit of work right there. Right. And uh, she drops Tori's face on the rope, but dro- Tori kicks her anyway. Outside, Don tosses Tori into the apron. And this is where I wrote this match is already better than I thought it would be. Right. I think that like this is also the thing where like you and I are not talented, really like like actually trained wrestlers. But I feel like if you like threw me out of the ring and then tossed me into the, the like the side of the ring or into the barricade, I feel like that would seem like it was a good match, even though I was nothing was really happening. <laughs> maybe, so I think it's getting maybe. away with they they do some good stuff here yeah so uh, michael cole relates uh this match to tori's previous wins which were uh bikini and lingerie contests which is funny to be like oh maybe this match will be another win for her and it's like i they're kind of different things though wrestling matches and then uh, beauty contests but that's fine i guess they could be like a thing so uh, at the same time Marie gets a camel clutch with a knee in the back kind of a and gets a variant of the surfboard stretch and then Don does a headbutt. <laughs> so what I will say is Tori's stomach. Nope, nope, not a thing. Man. In the crotch? Right in her crotch, right in her. The crotch. crowd, of course, gets really excited about that. And Taz yeah. acts like it was a low blow. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And what is your sure. Taz says, Daniel? I do not remember what Taz says. He says that, but... He's like that might not even hurt Tori. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then Michael goes with something like, "You don't know if that hurt her or not." <laughs> Definitely does. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel like nothing. That's for sure. Okay, but if it's a low blow, how is it legal? Yeah. So I mean, I I think it's just program ignore at this point, right? It's just we want to see a woman's face in another woman's crotch. That's all that's oh happening. Gosh, here, the that's way the just... crowd got excited about it is so like. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Tori does a a a Fez press style takedown on Don Marie, and then we get this. Uh, the spot I would call the referee tries to pull him apart, but just gets rolled over and the crowd likes his spot. So, yeah, so he's like the girls are fighting. The referee kind of like gets involved on the this mat. This was weird. And then they this roll over so him, weird. which I've seen before. And I usually don't like it because it's dumb. Uh, but the referee, Mike Sparks. Oh, yeah, man. After it happens, Mikey Sparks. He pops up. He does a little like he pumps both his fists in the air and he, like a yay me kind of thing. Yeah, like a, <laughs> so, I, I was getting up in a Don Marie from behind. Yay. Okay. Why is that? Well, that's because he, he hung on long. Like he like after <laughs> well, they rolled over him, he was like holding on to Don Marie. And here's another thing I find kind of odd, though, like too, because like that spot, you don't see that in men's wrestling, right? I mean, kind of needless to say, but like. Men's wrestling, the referees don't ever, like, get up in physically, like, I mean, Earl Hebner could, you know, sometimes, like, you know, be a little bit like, like, I'll get well, in there. In the, in the turnbuckle, they do. But, like, on the mat, no. No, they don't do that. Not like here. Um, I mean, also, Charles Robinson might want to with Ric Flair. Right. You just get close? Is that what you mean? Yeah, he just wants to get a little yeah. bit of that. Space yeah. Mountain. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Woo, indeed. Uh, <laughs> So after after Mike Sparks does his little yay me thing, uh, Don Marie kind of chastises him afterwards. Yes, <laughs> so sure, sure. but she, she at least tries to. I, uh, I yeah, amazing. And here's at this point, I looked it up, and Mike Sparks is actually the son-in-law of Dave Hebner, Earl Hebner's identical twin. So there's a, a, a Hebner family connection here. Oh, surprising, yeah. So okay. so Mike Sparks is, is uh, related by marriage. Oh, so well, good Tori- for him. Tori Wilson, after all that uh, debacle with the uh, referee getting rolled over and stuff like that, she gets a snap suplex for two. 
as Taz exclaims that he wishes his mother looked like Tori Wilson, which is weird. Weird thing to say. Don't know what that means. <laughs> Not a relationship I want to find out more about, that's for sure. Uh, while we kind of try to reckon with what that means, Tori slingshots Don Marie and then rolls her up for two. And then uh, Michael Cole points out this is one of two women's matches tonight. And I'm saying, whoa, what is this, 2016? <laughs> yeah, we're getting there, man. Holy cow. <laughs> is this the main event or what? Exactly. Um, Tori Wilson hits a swinging neckbreaker, which is kind of her finisher. And it finishes here because that's it for Don Marie. She gets she gets three. And uh, Michael Cole says, Tori said, that was for my dad, which doesn't really make sense because Don Marie is yeah. in a relationship with her dad. <laughs> and, 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 and Al seems to enjoy where he's at. So I yeah. don't know. I, I got that, too. So, Matt, I have a question about this yeah, match. Yes, please. We pointed out a little bit the previous week. So, yes, they had a mixed tag match the week previous. So just yeah. this past week, they had a mixed tag. But before that, it was just a series of bikini, swimsuit, lingerie, you know. Not just physical contests of, of, of strength, but uh, just physical beauty contests. And before that, before this whole thing started, Don Marie was not in the ring for weeks, at least before like we started watching. She was Stephanie's kind of assistant. She kind of yeah. screwed things up, supposedly. It wasn't, it wasn't her fault. Stacey Keeler uh, kind of betrayed them. But yeah, she was. She, in right. theory, I, I, I thought about this, I think, last week and the week before. I was theorizing that Domery still technically, I believe, works for Stephanie as her assistant. So I, I have to imagine that Domery had a conversation with Stephanie where she said, hey, so I need some time off because uh, I just want to cause problems for Tori Wilson for a while. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to okay. leave of absence as I just stir things up backstage. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie said, yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Um, so my question is, what's it like for these two women to have a pay-per-view match? Right, like, like how, how are they thinking about it? How are they treating yeah, it? Yeah, like, how are they feeling? How are they? Because it must be a weird thing. Because they're like, oh, when we're in this ring, we do different stuff. Right. Like, I mean, we don't, we don't do this. And so, like, who's training them? Like, at this day and age, like, because they, they definitely, I don't think they would have the same kind of performance center situation that they have oh, now, where they have it's funny, they would a have really a great women's trainer. I think. I think if I'm not mistaken, Fit Finley did a lot of the women's oh, matches. Is he still doing that? Is yeah, he still and doing I, that now? Because I remember there's a there's a match later on in 2004 and on Raw. I can't remember all the competitors, but I think Jackie Gaeta from Tough Enough and uh, Chris um, Christopher Nowinski or whatever. I think he is. Uh, is that the same? Anyway, they do a match on Raw where the regular guy who is there to put together women's matches is not there, and it's like one of the worst matches of all time. If you look it up online, look at it. Jackie oh, Gaeta. Okay. Who's the other one? I can't remember. Anyway. It's like a complete like disaster of a match, but um, so I think Fit Finley's around. So if I had to guess, I would say these ladies are probably like nervous, right? Because like yes, there's there's some serious wrestling going on in this show, and like you don't want to embarrass anything. The culture there would be interesting. I don't know what I don't know if there's any healthy kind of like men's wrestlers being like, hey, go out there and you know go, do your thing. We find it it's funny, haha, the whole owl whales thing, you know. But go out there and show us up. I don't know. So I imagine they're just anxious. Like I bet there's a lot to do. Yeah. It's, it would be the same as like doing promos and stuff like that. Because on some level, these girls are just actors, not like. Good actors, but like they're just like that would be their main Still. thing. Go physical performance. And this is a bit more. It's it's a lot more involved, obviously. So I think there's nerves. They're my guess. Yeah, I get that. One way to deal with nerves, of course, is to partake in illegal substances. Well, at least at the time, 2002, in this part of Arkansas. And who knows that better than Rob Van Dam, who's backstage with Coachman, <laughs> and he's asking. He's asking RVD about Ric Flair, Coachman is, and his opponent for the night. RVD goes, this is a terrible promo. RVD goes over Ric Flair's classic lines, and he does an impression of Flair. And he talks about how RVD's, he d- does all these things. He's yinging and yanging. He does these woos. He goes, woo. It's like really rough woos. 
And uh, RVD leaves. And then Coachman spots Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, and Tracy. And Tra- I don't know why Tracy's still here. She got kicked out of SmackDown last week. I don't know why she'd be allowed to be on the show. I, it's pretty bold of her to assume she could even be there. Maybe the champion's just like, ah, she's a ch- she's, I'm a champion. She can be around. And uh, Coach says, even though he's a raw guy, he's got to go talk, try to talk to him, which I like. He's like, this is a, this is a journalism bug going on backstage here. Funaki's <laughs> asking the tough questions of Al. Coach is like chasing guys down. Doesn't care if he's on the beat. He's going to find out. So Brock and Paul leave, and then Coach asks Tracy about her, quote, accusations. And she's, she says she's here to watch the Undertaker get what he deserves inside Hell in a Cell. And I just got to say, Tracy continues to be surprisingly good. This is like a decent promo. She's like one of the probably top like people on the rosters in terms of and she's just like a actor slash model. Does, like a does, she, does she stick around for a while or is this her thing? This is it. This is, I believe, the the final call of uh, one uh, Tracy Dolly. Okay. Uh, JR takes over and calls Tracy a Jezebel. And I got I got to issue a complaint at this point, of course, because I think Tracy seems 100 percent credible to me at this point. And, uh, you know, if this is if I'm supposed to believe that she's not actually like telling the truth about this Undertaker thing, this isn't working for me. Now we find out later on uh, different revelations about what happened and everything like that. Uh, Jerry Lawler, of course, just offers JR. She is hot. <laughs> Thanks, Lawler. That's awesome, man. I love it. You're really contributing here. And they're on the air because they're going to do the commentary for Ric Flair versus Rob Van Dam. And so Flair interviewed last month at Unforgiven and Rob Van Dam's match, which is why RVD has this beef with the Nature Boy. But it is a raw match. And they match. were best buds last month. They were like hanging out and standing up for each other. Yeah, that's right. They were. And then, uh, and then he, he, I think it's always sad when a guy has like a title match he gets screwed out of, and then his next month's match is against the guy you screwed him out of. It. It's like, oh, you should still, you should still be trying at the other thing. I would think. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a raw match. We're gonna skip to the end here. So Robin then hits a roundhouse kick and then hits a five star frog splash and pins Flair. Looks really good. Uh, Flair's shoulders kind of like off the apron. One of those awkward things where you like you you kind of you grab a guy's leg to really flip him over, but you, you, all you do is make him the shoulder come off the mat. <laughs> like, oh, too bad. Um, one, one thing I'll just add here: it's it always has bugged me that Rob Van Dam's boots say Van Dam on them, like it's all one word, like there's no space. Okay. If you, if you go back and look, it's like V A N D A, like Van Dam almost, but it's not one word. It's two words, and his boots don't reflect that, and that makes me mad. <laughs> Have more respect I, for yourself. I, I have a footwear gripe later on, so maybe we Ooh, can okay. trade. Wear gripe later on. At least hints at things. Like, I, I, there's a time later on where I have an issue with the match. <laughs> we see, we I see just Big want Show. You to know. I just want you to know. Our friend Big Show is telling Stephanie backstage, "Sis, it's not right. Consume, yeah, it's not right. This is not right. Come Presumably on. complaining about catering being out of eclairs or something. That's my assumption. <laughs> and okay, for some reason. Stephanie is dressed almost identically to Eric Bischoff here. She's wearing a black leather jacket and a black shirt. I thought she looked great. I was just like, good look, Steph. I just liked it. I, I thought she was like, because she was in the same building as her husband, she was just trying to pull off like uh, biker no, that, Triple H. No, that means she was wearing like a jean jacket over a leather jacket. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, one, one, one jacket, two few. Stephanie's uh, fashion icon, Eric Bischoff, interrupts here angrily. Because he's mad that she's talking to to a, uh, a raw talent. Somebody leaves saying, hey, this is a raw issue, so I'm going to get out of here. And so Big Show is there with Eric Bischoff now, and he complains about not being on a pay-per-view since July. And he says he hasn't main evented one in ages. And uh, so I went to look, and the last time he main evented a pay-per-view was, as far as I can tell, WrestleMania 2000, which was two and a half years earlier. He was in the main okay. event there. Okay. Now, if you count the Royal Rumble, he was in this year's Royal Rumble. But is everybody in the Royal Rumble a main eventer of Royal Rumble? I don't know about that. No, no. It seems like it's not. I think I think you only main event the Royal Rumble if you're in the final four. 
That would be yeah, cool. sure. I could see that. I mean, it's just a match that makes it harder to kind of classify that. So um, if I'm Eric Bischoff here, too, if this is what I'm hearing from Big Show, I'd be like, okay, give me a reason to put you in big matches. Like, win matches and beat people and be good. Right. There's a reason you're here but, or not. But yeah. he's a giant. He's man. a giant. He's a giant. Well, he says he's been sitting around with his thumb in his butt. <laughs> this is what yeah, he that says. Is, that's which I which I would never say about myself. Like you hear people say, like, oh, he's just sitting around doing nothing, right? Like that's the expression you would use. But I would never willingly say that, like, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> right, right. No, like, I mean, I don't know if I've ever really done that myself. No, even if I'm Let frustrated. alone would I share somebody. Right. <laughs> even if I literally did do that, would I take the time to impart that information to somebody else? That's what I did. <laughs> Stuck my finger in my rear end. No, uh, I wouldn't do that. Big Show does. So Bischoff takes issues with Big Show's tone. And so Big Show throws them into some trays and carts because uh, I guess they're in the vicinity of catering, which I guess makes sense. No wonder Big Show was near there. And uh, he threatens Bischoff, who is not impressed. And I can only imagine what happens from here. But I feel like Big Show is not long for, for Raw. I, I think a trade is coming. But it's funny because they made it very clear a couple weeks ago that yeah. like all trades are done. Like, well, there, the I don't rosters know if there's trades. In. They're just like, you can't just leave. There was, there was the thing. They're just like, well, you can't just leave a show and go to the next one. It's like, I think that was always the rule. Right. Otherwise, what is this brand? Like, like, it's one of those things where, like, well, now you can't go. And it's like, what happened before? Were they just not, they were just doing the honor system? Like, I won't go to Raw. Right. right. Well, yeah. well, because it's funny because in the first few weeks of this podcast, yeah, th- there was quite a few like drafts oh, yeah. and changes that just Exciting went change. unnoticed. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, where's Randy Orton? Where's Batista? Yeah. Where's like, you know? Well, yeah, well, well, I mean, those are, yeah, those other things too. Those, those kind of smaller guys who kind of make their way over there too. But there's those like, also, the, the Americans go. There's like that whole, you know, uh, Stephanie and Eric are trying to steal people from each other. Yeah. But yeah, there's also those other ones who kind of uh, said the whole said the whole thing with evolution and things like that. So then we get we get a video package for Triple H and Kane, which is mostly revolving on the Intercontinental title and its history as it's getting unified with the World Heavyweight Championship tonight, which I think is kind of depressing because it's just like it's kind of a sad little bowing out for a title. And it does come back, thankfully. Uh, it doesn't last very long. Yeah, I, I didn't realize this was a unification. Yeah. I thought this was just uh, title versus title and winner take all kind of thing. But. So this time on Raw, they, they uh, I think they united the hardcore title with the European title. And they united the European title with the Intercontinental title and then the Intercontinental title with the World title. So they did all that. They might have been hardcore with our Intercontinental. I'm not really sure. But that's a real choice to just go through and be like, we're just getting rid of all these belts. Yeah. Oh, right. Speaking of belts, we got the Cruiserweight title on the line between Jamie Noble and Tajiri. This match was barely in- announced on SmackDown, but it's on the show. Why not? And uh, we, we see a clip here of, of Tajiri getting involved in that weird intergender match on SmackDown last week. Oh, man. Well, my favorite people. My favorite people. Jamie oh. and Nivea. Oh, so this, this led to this match, which, again, they didn't even announce on SmackDown when it happened. And so it starts off with Tajiri baseball sliding and hitting Jamie Noble. And uh, both SmackDown matches tonight have begun with that exact spot. Yes. And both times, Michael Cole has said that the, the person who did it was wasting little time. So, I don't know. Does Michael Cole have a pole string or what? Like, it's very, I guess you're seeing the same thing. I, I understand why you would say the same thing, but right. let's put that up. And so, Tajiri follows up with this great springboard, Asai Moonsault, and rolls Jamie Noble in the ring. And, um, the, and then the bell rings, and Tajiri instantly covers for two. Now, okay, Daniel, am I crazy here, or did referees do referees now wait for guys to stand up and not touch before they start matches? Is that new? Because this scenario uh, is pretty unfair. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I think the rules around that are always really fuzzy. Yeah, because it's just like I guess when they want it to seem dramatic, they do it. But otherwise, it's just like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So 
uh, Jimmy Noble needs Tajiri in the corner and stomps and yells at him. Noble kicks Tajiri hard in the back, but Tajiri returns the favor, and they both think they kick him pretty hard. This sounds good. Right. Sunset flip by Noble, but Tajiri kind of walks and drags Noble to the ropes and falls out to get away from him. Tajiri uh, gets thrown in the corner. He gets caught in this electric chair drop kind of situation. That gets two. And uh, Michael Cole highlights that uh, Jimmy Noble and Nidia are living in a higher quality of life now because they have more money as champions, which I like when they talk talk about that. Right, right. Especially, yeah, especially kind I of talking about you know Jimmy Noble's uh, humble beginnings and I mean humble current living too. So Tajiri goes for a crucifix pin, but Noble counters by just falling on him. And then Tajiri still kind of manages to flip him for a pin later. So I don't know if that was countered technically or not. <laughs> right. you know, Tajiri like willingly gets behind him and he gets hit. And he's like, well, I'll still do it anyway. Like, All right. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Noble's main thing in this match is he knocks Tajiri down and then he yells, get up, boy. Get up, boy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, everything. for all I know, for all I know, Jerry might be older than Jimmy Noble, too. I'm not going to do the research, but I, think I, I still I like I still think like Jamie Noble is something special, like despite his character being ridiculous there's just like he he just has you know you know how they talk about the it factor yeah you know we 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 see a little promo later on or what we did last week i forget but matt hardy talking about his it factor yeah i don't think matt hardy has it but i think that jamie noble does he does have it and i just a little just a little quick research there as well uh jamie noble is seven years younger than tajiri so he's hitting him and saying get up boy even though he's like 26 and tajiri is like 32 at this point (laughs) so very funny thing there uh, Jimmy Noble does a surfboard stretch, but Tajiri gets out in the corner, and Jimmy Noble hits him with more knees. Then Tajiri goes for the moonsault, but Noble dodges, and Tajiri lands on his feet. So he kind of I don't saw that coming. I don't really I never know what to make of the guy who does a moonsault but lands on his feet spot. Well, you know because you can like change your trajectory mid in midair. Of course. So so it's like it's just he just decided to stand up instead of land on stomach. That's all. that I guess. Um, Tajiri goes for this, this running tornado DT, and he gets it, but he can't really cover. And so both men are down, and referee Brian Hebner counts to seven. And they get up, and Tajiri hits a handspring elbow off the ropes. Uh, and then uh, there's a big kick, and he gets two for Tajiri. And then uh, Tajiri just gets a kind of a, a round-the-back torture rack thing he does. And then he yes. does a bridging German suplex for two. And then Taz points out Jamie Noble's pronunciation of Tajiri, which is, Daniel, can you hit me with it? Tajiri. Hi, Jerry. So really, he turns T-A into Ty. And, and Taz thinks that's funny. And I think it's funny. I mean, it's so funny. Right. Yeah, it's not great. So Ty Jerry gets a, a tarantula in the corner, which is that illegal submission where he kind of wraps around the ropes there. Um, uh, buzz, there's a buzzsaw kick, uh, which is dodged. And then Jimmy Noble goes for his tiger bomb. That turns into a slingshot. And he gets kicked in the face. Um, and then he, he there's a cover, but Nidia interrupts the referee and starts uh, kissing him, which is one way you can <laughs> interrupt the referee, I guess. It's so funny if she kissed him and then he just called for the bell. He's like, disqualified. He distracted me. Well, yeah, I mean, he should, though, right? Yeah. Like that's... that's like the idea of a guy getting kissed and then be like, that's it, end of match. You kiss me. <laughs> Are you going to kiss me or not? No, you're going to be in trouble. So uh, Tajiri is mad about that for pretty justifiable reasons, but uh, Jimmy Noble gets him in a Tiger Bomb, and that gets just two, actually, which I was surprised by. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it uh, goes for Tiger Bomb. It gets reversed. Uh, Tajiri goes for a victory roll. From Noble's shoulders, but uh, Noble Nidia's holds onto Noble's legs to prevent Jerry from rolling him all the way over, and that gets him a three count, and he retains the title. And then after the match, Jerry stalks Nidia, and then plants what I will describe as a non-consensual kiss on her. Right. And then she likes it. Yes. Which is, is a very troubling thing now. 
I don't think, I think it matters to Nydia. You got a tongue, she'll suck it. That's what Tess says. That's what Tess says. <laughs> Tess is a very interesting view of what uh, Nydia is doing when she's making out with guys, I guess, apparently. Oh, boy. So uh, Jamie Noble yells at Tajiri and then shows him how it's done by kissing Nydia. Jamie Noble is constantly doing the funniest possible things here in these choices that he's making. He, yes. Jamie Noble is just like... He's getting mad at people for doing things, and he because like he got mad for like, hey, don't hit Jamie and Nydia. I do that. It's kind of a dark, that's especially a dark thing. But just the idea, like, don't kiss her, I'll kiss her. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this so, dynamic, these characters just bring my heart so much joy. Like mm-hmm. I just like I'm writing here, and I'm like, what is this stuff? Like, what is happening? It this is, is just so now. ludicrous. It's so fun, and, and it is hilarious. Like, like this is like you talk about sports entertainment. And this, like, this is it. Like, this is the pinnacle of sports entertainment. And I love it. Like, I can't get enough of it. That's great. So, so Jimmy Noble uh, gets down on his knees to kiss Nidia. And then Jerry just kicks him in the back of the head while he's kissing Nidia. Boom. Both of them down. Boom. It's kind of funny. And Jerry leaves. And his his attitude is kind of like, well, you know, at least I kicked him. Which I appreciate. <laughs> He's like, sure, go. Godspeed to Jerry. You do you, I guess. Maybe don't do the, keep the non consensual kissing uh, far away from other ladies on the roster if you could. And then we see another paragon of virtue, Chris Benoit, backstage. He's wandering around screaming. Just to be clear, I'm joking about that, folks. I feel like <laughs> so. Chris Benoit, uh, who's a problematic figure in wrestling in SmackDown Six. Uh, he's backstage. He's wandering around. He's screaming for Eddie Guerrero. He's trying to get him. And uh, Eddie Guerrero comes out of the locker room nearby. He's got a, a got a, a black eye for some reason, which is kind of fun. That's a little wrestling quality. Yeah, and, just just wonder wonder what happened between shows, you know. Yeah, I assume it was like uh, like Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania ninety, the jet ski accident. That's the only thing I can imagine. Classic, <laughs> what it is. Complex carbs kicks in like rocket fuel. There you go. Uh, so, so Chris Benoit tells Eddie Guerrero that Chavo was in trouble. He's with Kurt Angle, and so Eddie finds a locker room, and, and Chavo's yelling behind the door. But Eddie is all, "Hey, I, I know how this works. You're gonna jump me like I've jumped you for weeks. Like they've been doing this little exchange of." Hey, this guy got beat up. You should go in there. And they beat him up, or maybe the other guy gets beat up. And uh, and he says, "Don't you think I'm smarter? That's a Chavo's voice. It's a little girl's voice. I can't do a great girl. Maybe I shouldn't, but that's actually yeah. He says it's a little girl's voice. I, I love your attempts, though, Matt. You thank you. I say it because I adore Eddie Guerrero. He's the best. Um, of course, of course. Uh, and so as soon as he says that Chavo's voice, it's not Chavo's voice. It's a little girl's voice. Chavo gets thrown out through the door. And Kurt Angle comes behind. He's fiddling with his medals, kind of putting them back in good order there. And Eddie is shocked. And so Eddie attacks Kurt Angle, but Fit Finley and some other backstage guy pull him off. I guess Fit Finley was probably like, you know, debriefing with uh, Don and Marie and Tori, probably. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I so, imagine. And so uh, Ben and Angle leave together, and there's kind of this broy affection of like, ha, we got him. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, so that that was interesting. They're 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 it. getting along. They're kind of getting under other people's skin together. Okay. It's good, Maybe. man. Yeah, get, getting interesting here because that can't last forever. No, that but can't I, last. I see these forever. guys who are like, we don't get along, and you're kind of like, but it's kind of fun to see where that Venn diagram overlaps. It's kind of fun to be like, but like you guys compete really well. And anyway, I just I, it's a good story device. I enjoy that. Yes, yes. And then so like we're an hour into the show, so of course we have the Raw World Title match, which is Triple H versus Kane in what they call Champion versus Champion Winner Take All. Um, spoilers for this match: the winner does not in fact take all. I just just literally after the match he does not take all, but we'll get to that. Um, Jerry Lawler says, uh, I would not want to be in the ring with a murderer. And, uh, 
I mean, it's kind of been Kane's character from the beginning. You know, he's kind of this horror movie villain. Also, a bit rich for Jerry Lawler say is when to be in ring with a murderer, considering what uh, Jerry Lawler has been credibly accused of in the past. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, well, you know, there's that. There he's is like, that. well, at least I didn't kill anybody. It's like, yeah, stay away from elementary schools, buddy. Um, oh, my gosh. So we see a video package showing Kane as the Incontinental Champion. He's a tag team champion. He's like a happy guy. It's just the character at the time. His monster. He's like, I'm actually doing pretty good. <laughs> Living my life. <laughs> you almost expect Kane to be like, I'm exercising more. You know, I'm going out more. <laughs> you know, I got a few, a few microbreweries I'm checking out. I'm really, you know, just trying. I took up some It's just hobbies. nice to get the wind through these luscious locks here. Yeah. It's just, just like the world's just, I was just treating him well. And then, and then it's cut through uh, Eric Bischoff, who's a, uh, Declaring that Raw would have one title, which is why this match is happening. It's got all the justification they need. And then uh, Triple H evokes Kane's happiness. He says, how happy is Katie Vick? You are a murderer. <laughs> and then we, have this, we hear this overdub thing where Kane's explaining this convoluted story. I say convoluted. just a story we don't need. So there was this party. He was driving Katie Vick home. Uh, there was a car crash. She died. He was driving. I don't know. I mean, it's such a ridiculous storyline for Kane. Like, is Katie is Katie Vick a character before this, or is she made no. up for this story? Okay. She doesn't exist before this. This is the first time she comes up. Also, <laughs> just like the fundamental question of wrestling is: okay, so he's a good guy, right? So should I be cheering the good guy because he accidentally killed a woman? Because I think <laughs> I'm supposed to be mad at the other guy for being like bringing it up, but it's like I don't know, like. He killed a lady, or she died in a nearby. I mean, like I, I I'm not saying Triple H yeah. is a point, but it's just like, what am I supposed to think with this? <laughs> but this, this stuff is tricky, though, man, because yeah, people who are responsible for vehicle deaths. But I don't want to touch you, man. That's not a that's thing. I don't, I don't want to hear on that. Man. <laughs> that's like if they were like uh, Triple H came out and he was like Kane. Uh, you cooked a bunch of food and it was bad, and uh, people had food poisoning. <laughs> You get a whole form sick. You are a food poisoner. <laughs> I don't care. I don't want that in my wrestling. It doesn't matter to me. Right you now. Your taxes. Actually, that was a, that was a wrestling gimmick actually for a while there. <laughs> you make tax cheats. You made so much money. Ironically, WWE. So yeah, so that's the setting for this match. Because it's from Raw, we're not going to cover it in detail. The storyline it needs to be at least talked about a little bit. Um. And so the end of the match here, when I cut in here, the referee is already down. And so Kane goes for a tombstone. But Triple H, he's, he's holding a, a sledgehammer, so he hits him in the gut while he's doing the tombstone. And then uh, Kane hits him with a choke slam all the same, and he, he covers Triple H, and a referee runs down, but Flair pulls him out and punches him. JR complains, that's a licensed referee, which I love that it's a licensed referee. Like He's going to be like... <laughs> He's got credentials, man. So much work. JR was always great at bonifying the referees. Yeah. He would always give their names. He would always tell you their status within the rankings of referees, like senior or whatever. Yeah. He, did he ever be like, he's a junior official, that's why he sucks or something like that? Like, no, no. That. I, I think he was always just uh, in their corner. He yeah. tore them down. Um, if, okay, if I'm the referee who got decked by, by Ric Flair, after the match, I want to be like, okay, referees union, is there a reason why I can't come to and then declare the match a disqualification, no matter what happens? I remember that. Right, so it's really funny. Uh, SummerSlam 2009. Yeah. Uh, it was Randy Orton versus, I want to say The Miz. Okay. And um, Randy Orton gets the pin, gets his, but has his feet up on the ropes. Oh, yeah. And 
But then the match ends like it normally would and stuff. But then the replay is playing on the Jumbotron and the ref sees it and is like, restarts the match. And I'm like, it, it was the like, it was like the, um, it just broke wrestling for me. Yeah. Because I was like, but that, you can't do that. If because you restart every, match, every, every match. other, like every other match relies on refs being blind. Yeah. Like you can't, you well, can't would, do that. It would be like if there was one match where a wrestler was just like, I'm not going to help you do moves to me. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> yeah. we nothing can be done about this anymore. I mean, I remember, I forget the context, but I remember somebody talking about old letters people would send to wrestling magazines back maybe when people thought wrestling was more real than it was. And there was like an old guy who wrote to like an NWA public, like, like about NWA wrestling back in the 80s. And he was like, why doesn't the commissioner start fining guys for coming out interfering in other people's matches? And I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like every time a wrestler, every time a wrestler interrupts in a match, like there's a general manager should come out and be like, "You are fired. You can't yeah. do this." <laughs> you know, if like if like Rob Gronkowski just starts going to like New Orleans Saints games and punching people, and you're like, you, "You can't do this." It doesn't matter if you're European champion, Rob Gronkowski. You're not allowed. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's such a funny thing—the idea of like seeing the replay and the referee be like, "Huh?" They do that. Yeah. They- all the time like anytime they restart a match it's like you like you never restart matches but then you do sometimes when you want to well, so well it, it, yeah it's just you know what whatever is best for the future storyline i get it but at the same time you want some consistency because we're believing yeah. we're, as wrestling fans we're asked to believe some crazy stuff don't make it hard so, on me don't, don't make me feel so, That's so make it make it a little easier for me to compartmentalize yeah. this stuff you know don't make me don't feel more embarrassed than i already am about this um <laughs> me having podcasts about it anyway Ric Flair gets choke slammed. I guess you know, kind of getting retribution for knocking that referee out. And uh, Triple H takes the opportunity. He drives Kane in the corner. He hits a pedigree, and then one very slow count later, Kane loses. No, nope, right. doesn't, doesn't get hit with a chair and then pedigree. He doesn't get pedigreed onto anything. He just hits a pedigree, and then slow count done because the pedigree kills people. Right. Triple H would do a much worse version of that later on next year. WrestleMania, but we'll we'll talk about that obviously in the same kind of context of just going through a raw match very quickly. Um, something I've always hated, and this is such a specific thing: when Kane takes a pedigree, he always lands with one knee on the ground, which looks really weird. I don't know why he doesn't land on his face or like get both knees down or something. Like he just oh yeah, interesting. It's, a knee. it's like I've seen Triple, I've seen Kane get pedigreed so many times. Like it's a weird thing. I can't pick up on that. So and then so Triple H wins, and even though it's literally billed here as winner take all, Triple H leaves with just the world title belt. He does not take the Intercontinental title. It's gone. It's missing. We don't know what happened to it. Huh. I don't get it. I know the Triple H, I think, you know, behind the scenes, originally they didn't want to have a world title on Raw as well. They wanted the Intercontinental title to kind of like become the world title in a way. Like that was the most important mm. title on the show. But Triple H, as a guy with Sway, was like, we're not doing that. Bring me the WCW title. Because I love it. So let me go backstage. and We see Stephanie McMahon, who's looking disapprovingly at the TV, seeing her, her ex-husband cheating to win. And she's sitting in front of a laptop with like a bunch of stickers on like a high school kid would have. Yeah, amazing. It's great. It's like I a skater kids. What, I tried to see what the stickers were. I had a hard time. I, I can only hope that it was like, I don't know, some like it's school like she de- went to. It's like definitely like she's still, because how old is she here? Like she's like, she's like 24. 26. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's still quite young. So, so it's like her, col- it's her college laptop. Like, for sure. Yeah. I think it's actually her actual laptop because I don't know why you yeah. would like if you use your prop one, why you use one with stickers on it. Um. I love the idea of like you're like this guy, you're like Kurt Angle, you get paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, and you go to talk to Stephanie, she's like a laptop with stickers on it. You're like, Are you you who I take orders from? 
<laughs> you're like talk anyway. You're like you you this car climbed Mount Washington. Anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a bumper sticker joke for people uh, Mount Washington people. Anyway, so Stephanie's back there. She's at the TV. She's not very impressed with it. And in walks Stacy, uh, not Stacy, but Tracy. Tracy. Tracy for some reason. And so Stephanie sighs and. She sort of seems to believe Tracy's story about the Undertaker, and she kind of she refers to the anger or anger she felt at Triple H because she was talking about like, you know, like hey, I get why you did it. I'm mad as mad about Triple H. Maybe I shouldn't have kicked you out. I don't feel that bad. And uh, Stephanie says, you know, Tracy, you must care about Undertaker. Be this mad about it. And Tracy says, no. And she says, I don't know why she's doing this. She said she just offers that she was going to let this go, and she got a call from Paul Heyman. I was like, okay. And so Stephanie walks us through this whole idea. This was a lie. Essentially, yes. And Tracy goes like, you know, she says, "Is this was this a lie? Like, did you we put up to this?" And she's Tracy says, "Okay, confidentially between you and I, yes." And it's in like, front of these cameras. As well. well, that's why this is my low light of the show. We can't, you can't do invisible camera on wrestling, and they've tr- they've yeah. played with it on SmackDown before, where Eddie Guerrero insinuates that Chris Benoit can't have watched SmackDown, even though I can't imagine there's a show that people on the show would want to see more than the show they just did. Right, right, and right. So we're right. supposed to believe that Tracy just doesn't notice that there are conservatively like three guys in the room with her, um, you know, videotaping this whole thing. Anyway, it's unacceptable. I, I don't like this as a thing. If you want Tracy to admit something, either have her, you know, be threatened about it or have her reveal it, you know, in a way that is, I don't know, like, like she gets tricked or something, or like it's a hidden camera. Anyway, invisible camera is unacceptable. And then, and then Tracy adds that she would like to undertake her back now too. So now there's an angle where she's also kind of like a little bit of a stalker about it, right? And then suddenly, Undertaker is behind her. And I guess he was here the whole time. Maybe, maybe Stephanie was like, he was behind the door. Yes, he calls her a liar. He doesn't call her that. He calls her something worse than that. Yeah, he, 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 wait, which with a B? That's right. And that's like all he says. And Stephanie says, Tracy has told her last lie here, and she kicks Tracy out. And Michael Cole and Taz say, it's, it's like, kind of like a, a soap opera. It's kind of on the nose to you, soap opera. Oh, yeah, because it's like, yeah, that's why we watch it. Like, yeah. that's it. That's what it. What comparison is... made, guys? Can you not just, like, point it out, like, as, like, as clear as day? Be like, hey, just to point out, we're, we're doing a soap opera, too. <laughs> so, Matt, I have to share your low light. And, and earlier yeah. you said that, like, Tracy's doing good promos and stuff. I have to disagree, man. I think she's stiff, and I think she, this like... This is bad. This, no, this one is so different, though. She's, like, because she, she's not ranting, and she's not doing... Like, she's, like, doing these, like... It's more back and forth. It's more like a little scene, and it's just, like... And she's like, forgetting what she's supposed to say, and then you she's know what, catching too? it and picking it up, and I would just say, not. As somebody who's a, who, in addition to like wrestling, I like, I like a lot of movies, too. I'm going to put... This, I'm going to lay this at the feet of the director, whoever put that together. Because sometimes you watch a movie, and you're like, man, that performance was bad. But you're like, well, something, this, what, what would a good performance be with that role? Like, it's so poorly written. It's so dumb. The character... Like, how can you play a character that does X, Y, Z and makes you still like them? So... Tracy has put an unwinnable situation here. I think she's done well at this point. I think she, she did well earlier in the night. But um, well, it, it's a struggle for me, right? Because this whole "I want him back" thing, just the, the logic that was just, is just that, so loose. That like, was just, such a bad little part. I mean, like, how does that do, even work? They're trying to do too much because all it would take is just her to go like, honestly, I was with Taker a few years ago, and I mean, that's for the money, man. Like Paul Heyman and, and Brock Lesnar, they've got cash. I like money. Yeah, would that, would make, that would make more sense for sure. You know, I would mind. I would mind people seeing me on television. Like that all makes more sense. Because it's evident to me that this is all Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, right? Like, oh yeah, 
Yeah, even though even though Brock Undertaker did a terrible job making it seem like he didn't sleep with her recently. Right. He's like, I don't yeah, know who yeah, this yeah. is. And he's like, ah, actually, I did know her and we had a relationship before. It's like, okay, <laughs> most suspicious thing of all time. <laughs> right. So, Daniel, we get what, what I what I'm going to coin right now is perfect whiplash, which is when the uh, highlight or low light kind of go back to back. And okay. uh, this okay. might be my highlight. The main event might be my highlight, too, which is weird for me to say. But I think I have a personal favor, uh, affection for that, that last, second match here. But you know what? We're going to cover the WWE Tag Team Title Tournament Final. <laughs> Edge Fantastic. and Rey Mysterio against Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. This is probably one of the best matches we're ever going to cover on the show. If you haven't seen it before, you simply must watch it. You simply must. It's very important. And we start with a video package showing us how the two teams got here and complete with all the tomfoolery of the Los Guerreros and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit's anger with each other as the teammates. And we see a graphic of the tournament bracket, and it's a funny thing. So I want to do a run through a round by round on this here. So great. First round, Eddie, Ch- Eddie and Chavo beat Rikishi and Mark Henry, aka, AKA Team Fat Guy. <laughs> and then uh, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit they beat John Cena and Billy Kidman, and I'm going to call them Team Young Upstarts because that's okay. who they were. And that led to them fighting uh, on SmackDown last week. Uh, Devon and Ron Simmons beat Billy and Chuck. A team that I would argue is the only true tag team in this tournament, which is weird, and maybe why SmackDown didn't have tag titles before. Because there's one actual tag team in this tag team title tournament. Amazing. Uh, Edge and Rey Mysterio beat Tajiri and WWE champion Brock Lesnar, which I call that team. The team Jamie Noble was supposed to be here. <laughs> I like it. And then last week we had the semifinals, which was uh, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit beating Los Guerreros, and Edge and Rey beating Devon and Ron Simmons to set up tonight. And so we're in the ring, and referee Jimmy Corderas is standing in the ring. He has both of the brand-new belts, which are so good. Shiny. So shiny. Shiny. So pretty, so shiny, so sharp. And uh, so all four men in this match have their own interests, which emphasizes, once again, they're not really tag teams. And that's <laughs> fine. I'm not bothered by that. I don't care. But it's just funny that they, literally all four guys have the same thing. And uh, Taz declares this will be a showstopper because, you know, he knows it what's going on. He knows what's up. So uh, Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio start kind of trying to rekindle some of that SummerSlam magic. Uh, Kurt messes with Rey to start doing that kind of like a jump on you, tussle the back of your hair thing. And they do some wrestling and he tosses Rey around and he throws Rey in the corner and tells him to tag an edge. And Rey goes, no, I'm going to I'm going to take you on. And so they have this little exchange where Rey Mysterio steps on Angle's foot and then he knocks him down. And he sets up this quick little head scissors out of the corner. and He slaps Angle around in the head and Angle's livid kind of, you know, revenge for that little wrestling spot before. And then Ray says, okay, now I'll tag in Edge. That's fine. Yeah. And so Edge does some mat wrestling. And even though he does okay, Taz is like, that's a stupid tactic. Why are you trying to wrestle Kurt Angle? Right, right. Well, point, point. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Because it's like Taz is not making, like, he's not making it seem like Edge is stupid. He makes, he's saying what you're doing now is currently stupid. Yes. But it, I like it damages Edge long term. But I just like this idea of just like, Taz is just like, I don't care. Kurt Angle would be the meanest, worst guy in this roster. I'm still going to tell if you are trying to, out wrestle him, you are stupid. <laughs> well, well, na- narratively, Edge makes some interesting decisions in this match near the beginning here, right? That that don't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I want you to highlight the next time he does something like that because I'm curious what you, what, what exactly you mean by that. So after taking some uh, some shots from Edge, Angle tanks, uh, tags in Chris Benoit, and they go to the mat, and uh, Benoit gets a headlock on Edge, and Michael Cole says the Hell in a Cell later is going to be a treat. And Taz finally, you're calling to Hell in a Cell treat seems totally insane to Taz, which is fair. Uh, and this like the, considering what we see later on, it's like, oh, what a treat seeing these men bleed to death in the ring. <laughs> right, right. So, so Edge gets up from a headlock, and Benoit hits a shoulder block anyway. And Edge, t- uh, he hits a knee, takes Benoit out. He gets a gut buster, and Edge covers for two. 
Gets a backbreaker, also covers for two. And then, oh, maybe this is what you're referring to, Daniel. Edgewood's <laughs> Ben in the corner and chops him. But then Chris Benoit chops him back. He just sends off Edge off the ropes. He just is like, he's like, no, I'm going to chop you instead. Here's what the experience was. Like. Is, that, is that what you meant? No, it, it comes right now. Okay, okay. So uh, Benoit chops back. He sends Edge off the ropes. It gets reversed, and Edge hits a face buster for two. And then uh, Benoit sends Edge off the ropes, and Angle gets his knee up as Angle come, Edge comes by there. So, uh, But Edge gets revenge by hitting Angle with a spear and knocking him off the apron. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah. oh, I missed something. Okay, so I, I have no right to be mad. I apologize, okay. folks. Okay. That's because okay. I was like, why Why is Edge just instigating this thing with Angle? You know what? It was a subtle spear. It was a subtle little move there, for sure. Because he throws him off the ropes, and you like all you see, you see Edge go to war the rope, and you, see, you can kind of see Angle get his leg in there. And the commentary calls it out a little bit there, but I totally get not seeing it. Yeah, so I didn't see that. So I was just yeah. like, okay, is Edge just like spearing him because... Right. He didn't want to expose his back, and Angle's right there, so we just speared him instead. But, like, it's all bad news for Edge from this yeah, no, he, point he, on he, out. He has a little justification for that. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, so, yeah, so there you go. Edge gets revenge by hitting Angle with a spear. He knocks him off the apron. Um, but Angle gets Angle seemingly not that affected because he, like, gets up shortly thereafter, hit Edge again. It wasn't that much of a spear, I suppose. And so uh, Benoit tags in Angle, and he holds Edge prone, so Angle got a freak shot at him, and Angle just stomps and beats him. And then Angle gets a headlock and a leg lace. And I mean, like, he, he's so wrapped up that if this is a real fight, Edge is completely done. There's no chance. <laughs> uh, but it's wrestling, so Edge can kind of roll out and get out of it. No big deal. Edge can rally, man. Yeah, that's right. So Angle gets a belly-to-belly on Edge, and he, he tags in Benoit. Benoit uh, whips Edge into the corner, and Edge does his best uh, Bret Hart running into the chest. R- running into the turnbuckle with your chest as hard as you can kind of thing. And oh. so so, Nobody now, could do that better than Brett, though, man. Oh, it's not close. I'm, I appreciate people are trying, but no, yes, I mean, for sure. I, Brett, I just seemed like he was getting hit by a truck when he would do that. It was so yes. good. Um, and Edge is now firmly the tag team partner in peril. He is just, he is not doing great. The other guys are just beating him up. So Benoit gets three German suplexes on Edge, then he pops right on the apron, kind of goes up and hits him. Then Benoit goes up for the headbutt, but Edge is up instead, and he grabs Benoit and he hits a superplex. And both guys crawl towards their partners. Edge gets to Mysterio first. And so Mysterio runs over, he pops Kurt Angle on the apron, and then he gets Benoit a head scissors. He puts Benoit in the corner, and he seems he's going to do the Bronco Buster, and they get all excited about it. But he just yeah. has to drop him instead. Total, total yeah. miscommunication for the uh, commentators there. Uh, he, he knocks Angle out of the ring, and then he sets up Benoit so he's laying backwards in the middle rope, and then like this, this is a great mm-hmm. sequence, man. Like, just firing all cylinders. Harry Mysterio looks like a champ. Oh, he yeah. just looks so good. Just yeah. so, like... The fact that he can just stand in the ring with these men who are, you know, like big to huge. <laughs> oh yeah, big, yeah, big, big guys. I mean, not, not the tallest just, like, group. Be, edge, but, yeah. No, but just being there and oh, yeah. showing up, and it is just like, yeah. If if you're a kid and you're watching this, and Rey Mysterio was not your favorite, you, you are just the worst. Right. Like, th- this is amazing. Yeah, oh, totally, absolutely. So after that little leg drop thing, uh, he goes to the pinfall. It gets broken up, and then Edge and Kurt Angle do the tag team match spot of I'm going to clothesline you, but I'm going to come over the mat over the top with you, which you never don't really see in most matches. But right. in tag team matches, it's a great way of being like, okay, let's get out of this match for a second. <laughs> yeah, they, they just don't do it in a singles match all that much, really. So Ray goes up for the wheelbarrow bulldog, but Benoit just slams him down and puts on the cross face, and Edge breaks that yes. up. He gets dragged out by Angle, and then. Uh, Mysterio drops Benoit on the second rope. He goes to 619, but Benoit just catches him. He's got on the power slam position, and then all of a sudden, Edge 
climbs the top turnbuckle. He drop kicks Benoit and Ray. So Ray lands on top of Reg, uh, Benoit for the cover. Benoit gets a shoulder up for two. You know, there's some unique little spots in this match. So this, the, the, this is where I'm thinking to myself, like, what's happening in the production truck right now? Right. Like, how are they keeping track of this? Yeah, because yeah. like it's like, okay, focus on that. No, because at the same time as this, um, as the six one nine catching the six one nine spot is happening. Yeah. Edge is bouncing Kurt Angle's head off the ring steps. Right. And so you just kind of see that off at the corner of the screen while you get the 619 in the center of the screen. So in the truck, they're probably like, oh, okay, zoom out. And, okay, get this and focus on focus on Ray. Oh, Edge is coming. Okay, pan out. Like, what? <laughs> How are we supposed to do this? It's a real challenge for a match like this, which is nice. I mean, I like that they Very have to nice. sort of deal with that. So uh, Ray goes up top, but Kurt Angle comes in. He does his running belly to belly pop-up suplex there. And Benoit covers him for two, which is awesome. Then Angle gets a tag, he stomps Ray, gets a belly-to-belly suplex for two. And then Angle gets Ray in this front face lock, and the referee goes like check on them, but it's pretty clear that he's like relating messages to them too. <laughs> he like talks to Kurt yes. Angle and talks to them both. Um, Mysterio gets uh, gets out of the headlock, but he gets belly-to-belly again, and that gets two. Uh, Benoit gets tagged in, he he beats on Ray, and then Ray now Ray is firmly the one who is in peril after uh, right. Edge had his turn earlier. Well, because so, you, you have this situation here where they do this crazy stuff. Everyone's interfering with one another. They're jumping all over each other outside the ring. And then they just go back to a regular tag match again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's chaos like, okay, and the chaos settles in. We'll just, we'll just kind of go back to our corners. But at yeah. the very least, Edge is like, come on, Ray. Come on. Oh, yeah. And at Mysterio, he gets a head scissor on, on Chris Benoit and it sends him shoulder first into the post. So that could be the advantage that Ray needs to get the tag. And so he does, and, and so does Benoit and Angle is uh, also in there. And so Edge runs wild on both of them. Backdrop, faceplant, Edgematic. The last one gets a, a pinfall attempt broken up by uh, Chris Benoit. And the Rey Mysterio hits a buster on uh, Benoit, which is a Bronco buster. You know, I think we're going to jump on him with your crotch in the corner. Right. Finally, what you know, we Rey all need. What we all buster. need. Oh, yeah. So Edge hits Angle with a, a shoulder to the corner, and then he perches him on the top rope. And then Mysterio runs in and Edge alley oops to Monte Kernangle for the Super Hurricane Rana. One of the best spots I've seen, done just Ugh. so well. Ridiculous spot. I don't know why people aren't trying to steal this. Maybe it's hard to do physically, but man, it's very cool. Well, at this point, Edge is just going to be throwing Rey Mysterio around for the next like few minutes here, just oh, yeah. throwing him around, doing cool stuff. Um, when I was growing up, I was a big comic book fan. Yeah, and I loved the fastball special. And it was when Colossus would take Wolverine and he would throw Wolverine and Wolverine would go claws out and attack some Sentinel or something. Oh, perfect. And that's, yeah, that's all I could think of. That's all I could think of here was just like Edge's Colossus, Rey Mysterio's Wolverine, and it's just getting thrown at people. And just oh, man. Their faces up. If, you, if you made the reference in modern wrestling, who would be like, yeah, so good. They were like, that's like totally evolved into like guys who get that uh, comic book reference, which is awesome. That's right. Xavier so- Woods would be all over there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, after the alley-oop there, Edge covers, but Benoit comes in with the flying head about to interrupt the pin. But Edge kind of sees it coming, so he gets up in time so that Benoit hits Angle. And so Edge covers Angle again, but it's a very close two count. Oh, the closest. One of the closest this, you're going to see. Edge, this, Kurt this Angle is, is so good. put in a lot of like really close, like 2.9, 2.99 kickouts. So, like, so, okay, Kurt Angle great. is notorious, though, for being late. He can sometimes push this to the limit where it's just like clearly trying no, to limit. No, that that was like that was three, but the ref had to like pretend it wasn't. Right. So so when he nails it though, it's so sweet. It's, it's so crazy. sweet. But he takes a lot of risk to get there. Oh yeah. 
So uh, Edge gets Angle up. He gets a German suplex, though, on Edge. And he stalks Edge for something. And then uh, probably an Angle slam. But then Edge bellies belly Ray into Angle, which is crazy. So Edge does a belly to belly on, on uh, Ray Mysterio, but he hits Kurt Angle. And so Benoit knocks down Edge. And he goes he gets on the cross face. And Edge fights all the way across the ring. When he gets to the other side of the ring, in front of the ropes, Ray flies in and he hits the 619 on Benoit, which makes sense because Benoit is elevated in such a way. He's tied up with Edge. It makes sense. I mean, we, you know, I think there might have been an attempt at another time to hit a 619 on a crossface Benoit, but it's perfect. He's in a prone position. The move works perfectly. This is excellent. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Very nice. So Angle comes in and he nails Ray with an Angle slam. And then Angle gets Edge uh, in an ankle lock. Um, but he gets whipped to the ropes, and on the way back, Edge gets him in a tight, small package, spinning combination. Angle just kicks out. And then back up, Angle gets speared, and Edge covers, but Benoit interrupts. Ray kicks at Benoit out of the ring, and he goes off the ropes, and he hops onto Edge in like a powerbomb-like position. And then so Edge turns around and flips Ray moonsault style onto Benoit on the outside. Another oh, yeah. move I haven't really seen before. Amazing stuff. Again, just Edge throwing Ray around. Oh, yeah. And Ray just capitalizing and just making it work, man. It's so awesome. good. So good. So uh, Edge turns. He goes for an execution on Kurt Angle at DDT, but it's blocked. Then Angle locks on an ankle lock, and Edge counters and gets an ankle lock of his own, but it's kind of weird. He's got like high up. He's kind of holding the foot in a well, weird way. Well, he struggles to get it on. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it, yeah, the, the momentum slows here for a second. Is Edge just trying to like, wait, how does this? And then Angle like flips over for him. And it's like, okay, here yeah. it is. And then he counters himself and he gets yeah. an ankle lock on. And pretty quickly, Edge taps. Edge and taps, man. I'm going to say, for, finally, Angle beats Edge. I don't know if Angle has beat Edge this year before. You know, they can't they keep. So, so, okay, when, when does this injury happen? Which injury? Where, where Edge, Edge is gone? In February. In February. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because Edge, um, he was, he did a untold segment on the WWE Network. About oh, yeah. Him and John Cena's uh, TLC match. And he was just talking about how his like early career, like after the tag team stuff, he was kind of just like, meandering and floundering and... This kind of thing. And I am not seeing that. Like, I am seeing a man who is clearly on the rise. He is, like, yeah. fan favorite. He is killing it. He's winning he is, matches. He's getting he, put in really good feuds. He's with amazing people. And he is competing. Like, he is just a like, competitor. It just maybe the so, most, like, protected guy on SmackDown at this point. He yeah, never, so, hardly ever loses ever. So, I think he might have lost perspective on where he was going. Yeah. Because... If that injury did not take place, this is a guy that would have been champion, I think, within the year. He would have been He would have been in know. conversations at least. I mean, like you would think he'd be close. I mean, if not that, even not if not two thousand three, two thousand four for sure. Two thousand four. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I mean at that time too, right? There there, you know, Ben was getting a title there too. So maybe there's like some different energy there. And obviously the next year they do the Cena Batista thing. So Edge would definitely be somewhere between those guys and there's a second yeah. guy who's gonna win and you're totally right. Like he's getting put in strong positions here. And and even though even though he did go away, when he did come back, they were still flirting with the main he was still flirting with the main event scene on Raw. Right. So I, yeah, it's funny to me, it's funny to hear that because you're you like you're totally right. Like he's not in a bad position here at all. No. Now that's it, he did tap out and lose the match. <laughs> he did. He did, but yeah. it was strong. It was, fine. It was so it was, oh, strong. Oh yeah, for sure. So strong. And so Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle are named announced as the first ever WWE tag team champions. Um, Michael Cole says he's going to give him a standing ovation. Which, and, of course you will. Absolutely. It's a great match. Kurt Angle leads quickly, but he points to Benoit on the ramp. He does it kind of like, hey, look what we did to get together kind of thing. Like, oh, look at us. Who would have thought? Is there, is there Not a, me, says the gif. 
So, so th- th- this, yeah. this is the thing where I'm thinking about this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, this is, this is the way you're going to go. You're going to have them win because that's way more interesting, oh, way yeah. more interesting because now we're waiting for this team to crumble. Yeah, and we, um, and we have some really good tag team challengers on the horizon here, guys who, who went out early in the tournament. We have a good setup right. here for a great SmackDown 6 fall, a continuation of the SmackDown 6 fall. And then we go uh, from that match to uh, what I would argue looks like, it looks to be some illegal activity, which is Undertaker backstage with Larry the Trainer, and he's got now listen, Larry, listen, Larry. Exactly. He, and he's not sure if he wants to give Undertaker a shot. He's got like this uh, syringe, and he says he's not sure it's ethical. And Taker says, you know, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. He says, come on, man. And Larry relents and injects Undertaker. I don't know if I, I just I'm watching a man do with performance enhancing drugs on SmackDown. I don't know why that's permitted. It's <laughs> fine. I don't know why they're showing it to us. It doesn't factor in them. I guess he's hurt or something like that, but what a thing to have happened. So the next match is Trish Stratus versus Victoria. Now, before the match starts here, Jerry Lawler says that the last match was shameless shilling for SmackDown. It reminds us this is no mercy, not SmackDown. Like he's just like <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What does that accomplish, man? Like, you're just sniping at the show. Like, so sorry that like that Michael Cole is trying to get SmackDown uh, some credit as this great show with great wrestling." But Jet Lawler's like, "This is stupid." And you're like, "Screw you, man." It's but like best match. Oh yeah, exactly. It's like was, that's the best match you've seen all year, dude. You've been watching like Booker T win like four minute matches against Tommy Dreamer. Like, give me a break. Right. So Trish Stratus versus Victoria is a raw match. So let's skip to the end. Uh, Trish goes for the Stratus faction, which is that springboard bulldog. And uh, it could not be more apparent that Victoria is like holding her up the whole way. <laughs> She's getting supported the whole time. Uh, now, th- it does not work out for Trish Stratus, but she does get a roll up on Victoria and she retains. And so after the match, um, Victoria kicks Trish and the referee kind of struggles to restrain Victoria. And it's weird they treat women differently. I know I talked about this earlier, but like, you know, the ref is like grabbing her and like like trying to drag her away, and it's like a ref. Like, how many times have you seen a, a male wrestler beat up another male wrestler? And the referee just stands like four feet back, and he's like, "What are you doing, man?" <laughs> right. You're right. Weird, like, like male referees should probably be in there more when there's not matches. You're like, hey, you can't, like separate them, but it's the time because you can, you can because you can, women can actually be picked up by a referee. They're just like, oh, whatever, we'll just grab them. So, okay. <laughs> so Michael Cole and Taz are uh, talking to Rikishi. The, That's uh, right. Resident That's right. of SmackDown. He's the world in New York City, the the restaurant at Times Square, and they're asking him about Hell in a Cell because he was, I was putting finger quotes, choke slammed off the cell by Undertaker at Hell in a Cell at Armageddon 2000. Just to be clear, he was gently pushed off the cell into into a hay bale. Into yeah, into like it's kind of the Undertaker getting F5 on a pile of popcorn, which we saw earlier in the year. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Not that hard. So yeah, I, I was writing this down. I was like. Oh, Rikishi doing a pro on Hell in a Cell because uh, this is going to give the match so much more credibility. Like this Absolutely. is Rikishi no, Rik- says it's tough, so I'm gonna really believe him. He speaks very seriously about how dangerous it was, how lucky he is to have a career. After what, he's not joking around right now. No, he's not, no this, he is it's not a, pumping his hands in the air. He's using the tone of voice he used when he talked about getting a shot, but in a drive-by. That's right. That's right. That's like, right. And they died. Life flashing before my eyes. Thinking about whether my 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 sons would be in a Stable with Roman Reigns, their cousin. Uh, and so I gotta say here, Rikishi is also wearing a leather jacket and a black shirt. That's three people, including Bischoff and Stephanie, are dressed that way. Hey, this is just the way it goes, man. This yeah. is early two thousands, man. He's got little brown sunglasses on as well. And then they ask him, so who do you, who do you pick to win? Which is great. I want to see more segments where they, uh, hey, who do you, who do you think is gonna win this match? Rikishi gives it to Undertaker. So yeah, that's what we get. So we get a video package here, a Hell in a Cell video package, and 
start with last month unforgiven going through the whole broken hand thing uh, the package even uses back-to-back smackdown pops when stephanie announces hell in a cell and that is especially annoying to me because there was an actual cool reaction when she rea- when she mentioned hell in a cell yes when she first announced it the crowd wasn't immediate but they got excited about it i was like oh my gosh they're using the there <laughs> so this might be my actual highlight of the show i might like this ma- i might have enjoyed this match a little bit more yeah so i was saying quiet because this is my highlight of the show yeah, and, and okay. specific specifically Heyman's involvement oh that's funny okay so so this is the one and only hell in a cell match we're going to cover in the smackdown six podcast so i, I want to talk about this a little bit i mean we, we don't have enough time to go into it in, in huge detail here but um this is the ninth hell in a cell match that wwe has ever put together the most recent one before this one was uh, Triple H against Chris Jericho at Judgment Day back in May. So it's, you know, it's been this year. We already saw a Hell in a Cell match, 2002. Um, and since this match, Dan, do you want to guess how many more Hell in a Cell matches have happened after this match? Oh, my gosh, Matthew. I don't know. In the intervening 18 years, there have been... Can, can I guess? Yeah. Can I guess, though? Please. Okay, so I... Yes, I'm thinking 25. 36. 36! They've done 36 oh matches gosh. since then for a total of 45. This is Undertaker's sixth Hell in a Cell match. He's going to end up in 14 of them. He wins eight of them. He loses six of them. Oh. This is pretty much in the middle. Brock is in his first of two. His second one is also against The Undertaker. It's in 2015. And I'll just tell you this. It ends a very similar way to tonight. So, spoilers for Here that we match. Go. I think I've watched, go. I watched that one last year, but I can't remember what happens in it. I think it's good, though. Um, right, right, right. Now, well, this is interesting, right? Because I was thinking about the under- it's the Undertaker starts this Hell in a Cell thing. Yeah. And so what's that like for a performer who realizes that he's going to have to be in this kind of a match quite a bit? You know? And, like, this match is really taxing. It's always long. Mm-hmm. It always has a lot of hard bumps. It's expected to be more hardcore than anything else. That, 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 oh, that, yeah. that, 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 that. So, you know, after 1998, near the Undertaker, are you kind of done? Are you kind of like... <laughs> I don't it's, know. It's such a if big I want match, this to though. be my thing. Like, it's so I don't cool, know. though. Like it's like I think it's not it's not that common too either, right? Because the last one wasn't he wasn't involved in it. And honestly, right. of course, Triple H trying to make it his own thing by he goes up against later on against um, Shawn Michaels in an incredibly long one. He goes yes. up against uh, Kevin Nash in one. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing, but it's it's funny. So I asked my wife tonight. I was like. So if I tell you there's a match called Hell in a Cell, what do you imagine? Because I was trying to get a sense of, like, do people know what this is? And what she said was, um, she's like, well, there's two guys, and um, and they're trapped. And it's like the idea of describing guys in a wrestling match as trapped. Like, it's so, so Brock Lesnar and Undertaker should maybe, like, put aside their differences to escape or something. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's it's escape plan. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a load. Like, actually, um, uh, you actually, uh, that's a movie. I don't know if you ever that, do that, but my made up a movie instead. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Hell in a Cell, for me, is a really cool match. Mm-hmm. Except for what you've just brought up, that there has been 40, what? 45 in total, yeah. 45 in total. So, okay. Now, so what, Daniel, deal, right? what has made, what has made a, such a proliferation in these Hell in a Cell matches? Because before, it used to be the blow-off of a few would happen maybe once a year, maybe twice, maybe if guys really needed it. So how do they so get this, so many matches so, in the last 15 years? So this is, as you know, the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Do you, do you have the stats of when that started? I believe it was 2009. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So, okay, this is what I was going to say. Right at the outset of this podcast, you asked me what I think about 
the generic random names for pay-per-views. And the reason why I like them is because is only because of the existence of a pay-per-view like Hell in a Cell. Where now all of a sudden you have a pay-per-view that has to have a specific match type. More than once, too. More than once. Usually the right now, now the women will have one, the men will have one, and then another person might have one just to so right. there's two to three on a Hell in a Cell paper. I'm shaking my head, folks. I'm shaking my and head. It make, and it makes no sense because how are you supposed to convince me as a viewer that all three of these feuds are at the same point, at the same time, and all meriting this kind of trappedness, as Emily so aptly described, you know, yeah. that we got like, this is the end of the line. This is the end of the road. This is where it's going to come that down. Now, though, that's how they do it. They just kind of go like, ah, eh, it's not that. Like, it, they kind of get rid of the mystique. That's how they do it. It's it's time. It's just time for you to have your Hell in a Cell match. So yeah. find a partner and go to it. Yeah, do see down, man. And and it's really like, and you have a Hell in a Cell match that often. And how are you supposed to innovate? How are you supposed to do some cool well, things? This past year, they had uh, they made it an I Quit match too, which doesn't actually bother me as much, to be honest with you. And that was neat. And that was actually a good match. I really yeah. liked that match. That, that was kind of, it was divisive online, but it was an interesting thing. But like, yeah, I mean, they do, they do the same thing with, you know, before, as we're recording this now, uh, in late 2020, uh, the tables, ladders and chairs is a pay-per-view now. Yeah. And it's like, okay. I mean, and money in the bank, right? So money arguably bank, yep. money in the bank is the one that kind of transitioned the event more, most seamlessly into its own pay-per-view where like, yeah. I, I I would argue that I prefer Money in the Bank to Survivor Series. So, like, as as the years have gone on, I think that Money in the Bank is a more important pay per view than Survivor Series, along with the other big four. Interesting. Well, I mean, Survivor so, Series is just transitioned into such a uh, its own thing with like ah oh, brand stuff versus like Money in the Bank sets up new people and there's new matches. Yeah, and you know, you know that I yeah. hate the brand stuff. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. that's why Survivor Series for me is just like, yeah. and Money in the Bank has elevated. But apart from that. These whole, you know, hell and cell, tables, ladders, and chairs, these kinds of things. I want these matches to show up when they do mean something. Yeah. That's all I want. I just yeah, I just want there I want there to be a TLC match at an unforgiven in two thousand and six. Yeah. When Edge and John Cena just have had enough of this. Yeah. And I'm they okay. just need to finish this. I would be fine with them changing some heavy names from time to time. If you could look and you go, it shouldn't be no mercy anymore. It should be why well, would argue, I would argue Halloween Havoc. Um but I think that would right. work so much better. I mean, you can just do so much with it. It's yeah. And then you get great balls of fire or whatever that is. Anyway, so but we do have to get to this because we, we don't have we don't have a ton of time. We don't have endless time for so. so we see Brock Lesnar coming down the ramp, and there's this cool shot through the chain link. Brock is coming is with Paul Heyman here. And Brock's entrance is like extra dark tonight. It seems like he specifically is like they just did spotlights to make it more dramatic, which is fine. Um, Michael Cole points out it's the champion's prerogative to come out first or second, and Brock elected to come oh, first. Oh, that's an yeah. interesting factoid. We complain about that. I mean, that's a classic Jesse Ventura complaint. Then why is the champion coming out first thing? And in theory, it's because he wants to come out there first. And in this situation, I like the detail because Brock wants to get kind of acquainted with the structure. Uh, okay. Get, get in there, kind of feel what it's like. Uh, and Brock has a bandaid on his forehead. Probably not a good sign if you're trying not to bleed in this match. <laughs> he has a bandaid there. And so this is this is another thing to touch on here. This is a smaller Hell in a Cell. This is the one. This is roughly the same proportions as the first time they showed off his match in 1997. Uh, they would make it much, much taller in later matches. Yes. Because you but, can... but it makes for some really cool things for them to do in this match. Absolutely it does. That's right. Because I'm like, I'm remembering, like, oh, oh, yeah, you can touch the, uh, the the roof from the top rope. And it's like, yeah, they do that a lot, actually. And they do some yeah. neat things, which is cool. 
Um, which you cannot – like a modern Hell in a Cell, if you stand on the top turnbuckle, if you reach up, you can't even come close to reaching that one. This no, still you're, you're, you're jumping and yeah, no, yeah. it's not going to happen. Which is interesting there. It's also not red. Uh, so Undertaker, <laughs> Undertaker comes so- out. Undertaker's wearing pleather pants, which is not good. He does have a cast, though, which is good. Uh, Michael Cole says, it's extremely hard to get out of Hell in a Cell, which has really not been the case up to this point. It's kind of a joke. No, no, they, fi- they find a way. Yeah, they always, almost always life, do. Except... Life, life finds a way. Man. Yeah, it's true. Uh, life uh, finds a way. I, there's not enough Jeff Goldblum shirtless uh, laying on announcing tables in this show. <laughs> that's right. That's all, that's all we really need. So we start off the match. Brock Lesnar and Undertaker take runs at each other. They don't really get a hold of each other, though. Uh, Brock ends up grabbing Undertaker and a so, race, okay, can race, I, can race I just jump in so... quick? I know you want to get yeah, into yeah. this action, but I just like, here's where this starts. So, okay, I said, yeah, the Paul Heyman stuff here is my <laughs> highlight. Yes, yes. But I have some major issues with this match. Yeah. Because they have done some really, what I think has been some really creative and solid build to this match with this whole cast angle. Yes. They, they, they did some really good work with a really stupid angle. Yeah. So basically, it was kind of like a high school tattletale, like, he has something he's going to hit me with. You should take it from him. Right. You want to see me hit me hit him with it? I will show you. Like, but what happens is it really, it really kind of captures this. Um, yeah. Okay. So if you are Brock Lesnar's manager, of course you're going to advocate for him. You're going to try and get the best deal here. Yeah. But they lose. Paul Heyman and Brock yes. Lesnar lose. They do, they do not successfully get that taken away. It's true. Undertaker gets to wear the cast for the event, and so why? Is Brock Lesnar not holding a kendo stick, a sledgehammer, oh, you a think something? You, should, you think you should instantly be going after that? Yeah, why is he not standing in the middle of the ring while Undertaker's coming down the ramp saying, you're going to wear that? I got this. Because they've made it such a big deal, and now it's just kind of... You know what? You're I just going to have to take some lumps. I never thought of that, honestly. But, but you know what? And, and this match kind of points out the issue with it, too, a little bit later on, because Brock hits the hand a few times, and it's like, ah, he's hurt. And it's like, well, that kind of eliminates the cast as even like a dangerous thing. So, But, yeah, th- then there's more problems there. But yeah. I want to get to those then, because it just it In compounds. Fairness, the amount of attention they put on the cast yeah. and the execution is unforgivable. I is really, It is really poor cast execution. For the amount of attention. Hopefully it's not how people feel about this podcast, of course. Uh, now, okay, <laughs> at one point here, there is a moment where they do specifically set something up to injure the cast, like very intentionally, where they do a whole thing and they have a whole thing figured out. There's like a chair involved. And we'll get to it. But yes. Uh, interesting. That's your thought on it. I didn't think about yeah. that one. No, um, I, I am. I'm very mad about the treatment of the cast. Yeah, I have, I have a rose colored glass. This is nostalgia, too. That's the whole point of this podcast in some ways. <laughs> That's right. Watching all this stuff and then being like, huh, is that racist? Is Michael, is Michael Cole anti-Semitic? That's why it's not a case. It's thing I wrestled with a few weeks ago. Um, so, yes, they, they, they're tussling here, and Undertaker, uh, he gets sent off the ropes. He gets power slammed for two. And then uh, in the corner, Brock gets some shoulders. And then uh, Brock misses when he charges a Taker in the other corner, and Taker hits him in the stomach with a cast. You have to treat it as a big deal. This whole thing, oh, we got the cast on him. Boom. Someone in the crowd says, he should have had a kendo stick. Um, <laughs> so uh, Taker throws Brock off the ropes, and he holds on and slides out. He kind of wanders around by the door and he tries to open it, frustrated. And I, it? I really hope that Paul Heyman went over there with him. He's like, oh, I didn't tell him the door would be locked. Oh, no. <laughs> because, like, Brock Lesnar's a stupid guy, but he's just like, ah, oh, can I get out of this thing? It's like, no, not really. Well, pretty early on, Paul Heyman is, like, screaming yep. for Brock. 
he does that the entire match. You hear him as clear as you've ever heard of Paul Heyman. I don't know if he's extra mic'd or something, but like yeah. I have some quotes here a little bit later on that he says. Um, and it starts, it starts especially noticing it right here when he's right by the door there. So Taker pursues Brock outside. They slowly kind of walk around the ring and they go back in and Brock hits the cat, um, hit, hits the cast. Undertaker screams in pain. And this is where I, I'm like, yeah, so if Brock hits it a little bit, like Taker's just in bad shape with it. But anyway, you take issue with that, which is fair. Right. Okay, now, here's something I take issue with, Daniel. Here's my real problem here. Yeah, you, let, let it out, man. Let it out. Brock Lesnar gets kind of a, an arm lock, kind of wrist lock thing in the corner, trying to like work on the hand. And referee Mike Kyoto asks Taker, hey, do you give up? But Undertaker is in the ropes. So is yeah. that a rope break? I mean, I know it's no disqualification, but no disqualification does not mean there are literally no rules. It just means you can't be disqualified. No, so, so, so there's a, but there's a, fair, for, there's a fairly consistent precedent for that. But, but you know what? There's a very inconsistent precedent for it in this match, which is what I thought was crazy. Okay, I okay. That's, that's interesting. Like, well, like, and have we gotten to the near fall yet? The near fall outside? This is not a Falls Count Anywhere match. That's another issue. What, so, what was that? Well, okay. <laughs> that, that I can clarify a little bit too. But yeah, so just I want you to remember right now, just write down, wherever you're watching right from, just find something and write down. Okay, earlier the match, Brock Lesnar gets a submission, and Mike Kyoto is asking Taker, hey, do you give up? Ridiculous. Anyway, we'll get back to it. Why that is significant. So Brock gets clubbed with the cast, and then the camera avoids seeing him for a few seconds, and I'm like, okay, well, he's blading. And then boom, there he is on the floor, he's bleeding. And, and Heyman yells about Brock. And so Taker comes out, and he elbows a bloody Brock Lesnar on the, ch- the cell wall, and he gets uh, thrown into the wall. He's got his face graded across the chain link. He's just beating him up. Uh, and they, he throws him into the, the, the wall, and he, they, they treat the, the wall like it's ropes, and he bounces back off against clothesline, and the story I wrote, Taker covers for two? Yes. <laughs> what what is quickly this? clarifies that Hell in a Cell is a false kind of newer match. And I mean... It, Never been. Never it makes no been. sense. But you know what? Here's the thing, Daniel. Earlier that year, Triple H, I believe, pins Chris Jericho on top of the cell in May. Oh, yes. He yes. does. But was that stupid then? Yes. yes. It's weird for me. Like, like, if there's one match that should not be false count anywhere, it's a Hell in a Cell match where you, you should definitely... like. The whole thing's well, false not count outside the cell. Like, if I, is, is is that crazy to say? Well, because, well, because the thing is too is that like as a business owner, you are now putting your referees, your officials, right, in a more dangerous like insurance cannot cover your employees following the wrestlers up on top of a cage. Oh gosh, but, I like the idea of a referee having to follow them up. He has to like use like uh, rope climbing, th- like like climbing a mountain, like he talks the thing. <laughs> That's right, that's right, he has rope support. So, uh, Taker adds some more blood to his cast as Undertaker, is, uh, as Brock is beaten up outside and all bloody, and this is where Michael Cole refers to the Undertaker once again as an emotional freight train, which sounds like he's been through a bad breakup, but it doesn't sound like he's been through, like, a tough experience. He's like, ah, he's, been, he's an emotional freight train ever since Becky left him. It's tragic. <laughs> he just hasn't been the same man. So, so Taker drops a leg on Lesnar while he's on the apron, and Taker climbs to the top of the turnbuckle, and he walks across, he kind of holds the ro- roof, and it's really kind of awkward knee drop. It just looks like he like slipped or fell or something. I don't know. I thought it looked okay. Yeah. Anyway, he covers him on the floor for two once again. Okay. So Undertaker has Brock standing up outside the ring, and Paul Heyman kind of reaches to the cage to swipe at Taker, and Taker ignores him, and then he turns around and he boots Heyman when Heyman's not ready. And he tosses Brock into the steps, and Heyman gets up, and he's bleeding too. Oh, this is the stuff that's brilliant, man. This he's stuff's great. He's holding onto the cage wall like he's dying, and Undertaker grabs his necktie. Oh, yeah. Pushes him into the cage, <laughs> and he pulls him back, and he pushes him in. He goes, boom, 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 boom. Brock rushes to the defense of Paul Heyman, but Undertaker moves, and so he hits Paul Heyman instead. Uh, but no, no, 
Brock does take this opportunity to get a little bit of an advantage on here. He he hits Taker with the kind of face plant into the cage wall, and he kind of he, he knocks his spine first into the turnbuckle, and then uh, and then Paul Heyman gives Brock Lesnar his belts, not his like uh, title belt, but like his like waist belt, <laughs> leather belt kind of thing. Paul Heyman's actual pants belt. I suppose I should call it pants belt. Anyway, so <laughs> Brock takes the time. He wraps around Taker's cast. This is what I was talking about earlier. They're targeting the cast very specifically here. They had a plan. And uh, Paul Heyman is holding on to it. And he yells out to the Undertaker, you're going to die now. <laughs> it's crazy. You're going to die now. And so uh, Brock goes under the ring. He grabs a chair. And he hits Taker in the back. And then he just hits the Undertaker's hands multiple times with the chair. And the commentators are horrified. And so Brock goes to take the cast off of Undertaker, but Undertaker gets feisty and he gets some quick strikes on the floor. The crowd gets all excited about it. And Brock gets another opportunity that we almost gets the cast off. It comes close and Paul Heyman screams, don't lose. And his face is all covered in blood. And uh, so uh, they go back into the ring. And Brock stomps on the hand. And he tries again and he pulls the cast off. He gets a decent reaction. So after all this hubbub, the cast is taken off. And, so this uh, is where I have issues, man. Yeah. This is what the. What the hell is a cast that can be ripped off with your bare hands? What is it doing being a viable weapon earlier on in the match? All of a sudden, I realized that's just cloth. Well, it's got sudden, some plaster. Barely. It's just flopping I mean, around. I, just he, all, it, he used to beat up uh, poor Matt Hardy a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but now, now I'm like, it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't yeah. the same cast. I, I don't know. know. I, it's fair. I think it's fair. I can't argue with too much. I mean, Brock Lesnar takes it off. He rips it up here. You know, he starts working the hand in the corner. It, your mileage may vary on this. Um, Brock gets Undertaker in a suplex, and he sets him on the turnbuckle, and Brock climbs up. He grabs the roof of the cell to kind of hang off and kick Undertaker for a while. That's what we talked about a little bit with the uh, using the roof, which is fun. He goes for Super Bowl X, maybe, but Undertaker hits him with a low blow, kind of showing how desperate he is, and just throws him down. And so Taker stands up. He walks across the ropes. He's holding onto the roof, and he drops, kind of, I would say, like a half-hearted elbow on Brock. Um, that gets two. It, it's but, sort of channeling his uh, love for Shawn Michaels a little bit. He's like, yeah, exactly. That's what he's thinking when he does. He says, "I love Shawn Michaels when he drops the elbow." Yeah, so at this point, at this point, he does not. But that's no. good. And, and and Undertaker seems very drained at this point. And Taz says it's like the fourth quarter now. If I recall correctly, this is close to the third quarter. I'd say probably. Right. So Brock uh, drops Taker face uh, throat first on the ropes, kind of like stunner style. But Taker comes back. It's a boot. And then Paul Heyman yells, "Brock, we're losing," which maybe not the best thing to motivate your guy with. No, Brock, we're losing. So uh, Undertaker does a suicide dive out of the ring like it's 2021 and he's in NXT. Um, the crowd doesn't even react to it either, which is crazy to me. Um, well, yeah, he, did, he just like spears the chain link, man. Yeah, but he yes. dives out, which is crazy. Um, Taker, he tries to grab the stairs. He can't really do it. He's got like his broken hands, so he's having a hard time. And so the commentators say uh, they can't believe what they're witnessing. Their breath has been taken away because the crowd is not that crazed with this match. Right. And and I get it. Like, I just watched the Hell in a Cell match from No Way Out 2000, and the crowd kind of gets accustomed to guys getting out of the cell and climbing up. Okay. So part of me thinks they're waiting to get excited about that. And unfortunately, I mean, for them, it doesn't, doesn't ever happen. So I think there's like a kind of an energy issue that you see taking place here. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Because when I was watching this match, I was realizing, oh, like, I might have seen this match a while ago. But like when I did, I was not paying attention. Right. And this is really solid. And this is some really good use of just inside the cell like they do a really good job with it which is what i think is one of the better like inside the cell hell in a cell matches that i've seen where it's just like let's just let's just tell a story that stays contained and away we go and i think i think the blood helps i think the copious amounts 
that's what we're getting into right now because Brock hits Taker with the stairs and Undertaker has time to get very bloody very quickly. It's one of the craziest blade jobs I've ever seen. Yes. You know, Taker hits with the stairs again. He gets hit real hard and we actually see blood dripping out of Undertaker onto the floor. We see like droplets. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It's like, whoa. And Brock celebrates kind of like doing this heelish celebration here and the crowd is into it. I think they just needed a little bit more kind of like crowd interaction maybe. If Brock was like taunting people more, they'd be more into it. Um, and just to be clear, at this point, the only person who is not bladed in this match is the referee. Uh, because the <laughs> both wrestlers and the, and the manager has. And so Brock hits this big spinebuster and Taker gets two and he covers again for two as well. Taker's on his feet, but he's pretty out of it. He's got this real crimson mask on, truly. Truly. Um, the best crimson mask I've ever seen. Yeah. Taz suggests the referee might consider stopping this thing. Surely a referee would never stop a Hell in a Cell match, right? Mm. Uh, 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 mm. Well, Hell in a Cell in the 2019. Just go back and check. Uh, anyway, the, the guys, they exchange blows. And one of the cameras at ringside has a drop of Undertaker's blood on it, which is crazy. Um, then Undertaker twists Brock's hand and he goes for the old school rope walk. But Brock flips him off the top and onto the ring canvas there. Uh, and then once again, we see blood just pouring out of Taker's face. Just crazy. And then Taz says something weird here. He says the Undertaker has never been pinned or submitted. And I imagine he meant inside Hell in a Cell. Yeah, okay. But that's not true. The Undertaker literally was the first person to lose a Hell in a Cell match. He got pinned. Right. So I don't know what Taz is going for there. He's going to say this week, maybe? I don't know. That's very Undertaker's very much lost. So Brock picks up Taker to go for an F5, but Taker counters it. He gets a choke slam for two. People are very excited. And Taker's mask, is, Taker's face at this point looks like someone painted with red paint. 100%. It's like, I, don't, I hope Taker's okay after this. I mean, he obviously has a long career, so he's fine. But he was very, very bloody here. And I'm going to keep talking about it because it's crazy. Um, so Taker charges Brock in the corner, gets a big clothesline, but another attempt leads to Brock kicking Taker in the face. And then Brock sets up for the last ride. He tries to get one of his own. He, the, he even raises his fist to taunt him. But of course, Brock gets backdropped. You know, it's not going to happen. So Taker comes off the ropes. He hits a DDT on Brock for two. And Taker signals for the last ride himself. The crowd is excited. But then Lesnar drives Taker into the corner, and, and he, he stops that attempt. And then Brock gets on the second rope uh, to punch Taker. So Taker grabs him, and he hits the last ride, barely missing the roof of the cell of uh, Brock's head. Right. And uh, he, he covers Brock. He's bleeding all over him, which is totally gross. Like, all, like the whole way, oh, yeah. uh, he's just bleeding on him. And then Brock grabs the rope at two to stop the pinfall. Yes. So, okay, do you issue. get rope breaks or not, guys? Yeah. Anyway, I was under the impression rope breaks were not in effect, but interesting, w- interesting, very inconsistent. I'm mad about that. So, Undertaker signals for a tombstone, which the crowd gets very excited about. It's kind of crazy. Undertaker has two different ways of signaling finishers, and both of them are very over with the crowd. That's right. He does the fist thing, or he does the uh, the throat slit thing. So, Taker gets Brock on his shoulders, but Brock kicks his feet and he grabs Undertaker's belt and he pulls him up in a kind of a power slam tombstone position. And then Brock does something very impressive, which is he shifts the Undertaker's weight by literally tossing it in the air, grabbing him in an F5 position, and he hits an F5. That's such an impressive display of strength. Oh, amazing. And then just boom, just like that, Undertaker gets hit with the F5. Brock covers him. Mike Kyoto counts one, two, three. Brock Lesnar is half covered in Taker's blood. He wins. He's climbing off of the mat that has covered almost the entire surface of it is covering Taker's blood at this point. And then after the match... Brock leaves the cell and he goes looking for his belts and he finds it and he puts it around his neck like he's wearing like a necklace or something. Then he climbs the cell and he holds his title belt aloft, kind of his victorious thing. He finally gets on top of the cell yeah. well after the match is over. Michael Cole asks, can anyone stop the youngest WWE champion in history? As we see the bloody Undertaker staring up at Brock at the top of the cell. 
The show goes off the air with that question, who can stop Brock Lesnar? Which is a very cool conclusion. Feels suitably epic to the night. Very, very cool. Very kind cool. of a cool thing to do also. I don't know if Brock's trying to like be a little bit of a face by doing that, but it's a very cool thing to do. Um, so, Daniel, quick final thoughts on the show. Yeah, so so really, really great. Lots of fun stuff. The main event is spectacular. It is spectacular, and the tag match is absolutely amazing. So for nothing else than those two, you should be watching this pay-per-view. And it's fun. It, it's really fun. It's really great. So again, don't let me dissuade you by all of my negative comments about the cast stuff. You can, you can suspend disbelief here and really enjoy yourself. But I do have to say, though, like when Undertaker is choke slamming with his broken hand, he is giving hard right hands with his broken hand after the cast has been removed. Yeah. And he's pulling himself up off of the mat with his hand. I'm just like, you have forgotten what's going on. Unless we're led to believe that those injections during that vignette. Oh, hilarious. Maybe. Were, were painkillers <laughs> of, of some kind. And now he just doesn't feel it anymore. I guess. Uh, such a funny but idea. No, all, all good. This yeah. Movie. This is this is some great wrestling stuff. So would you, would you say it's a just bring it to use our SmackDown uh, video game? Just culture? bring it. Just bring it. I'm right there too. I mean, the women's match isn't the worst thing on earth, I guess. The Jerry Noble is fine. Tag team title match is obviously great. Uh, one of the best matches we'll cover. This Brock Taker match is a personal favorite for me. It's a it's a just bring it. I gotta recommend. Well, like that. you you watch this back half of the pay per view. Yeah. You just sit down for an hour and fifteen minutes and you just yeah. take that in. That is awesome. This is nice to get, man. Honestly. So, uh, so yeah, that's going to do it for this show. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being here covering No Mercy Lesson 2 with me, man. I had a great time talking to you about it. Um, you, man. You're welcome. Next, next week's show is going to be October 24th, 2002 episode of SmackDown. Come back, see what the fallout is going to be from No Mercy 2002. Help me find out if we're going to see anyone stop the youngest WWE champion in history right here on SmackDown 6 Podcast.